does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Oh, welcome in here. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. You know, let's cut right to it, Jay Cook. Scale from 1 to 10. How's the voice today on a Friday? What do you think here? I am going to go with a 6, which is about where your peak was yesterday. It's pretty similar. Yeah. Pretty similar. I don't know what's going on. I've been blowing my nose a lot. My left ear is clogged. Like it's I I don't have stereo surround sound here. I'm working with the right ear right now. <laughs> yeah, you ever see like a dog? You start to say something to him, and he kind of leans to yep. one direction. That's how I feel with every word that's being said right now, Jay Cook. Not good, not good. And and to make matters worse here, let me complain just for a second. First world problems. Here, not the end of the world, but. This backup computer is going to be the death of me, Jay Cook. <laughs> My goodness. And it's, I, I bring this up because it's actually a pretty funny story. So I was at Disney World on Monday with my girl, and I get a call from the computer place that's fixing my keyboard. Something was messed up where it would just double up letters, like a, a double space bar, double letter A, double letter S. Or it was obnoxious. So I was like, I got to get this fixed. So he calls me on Monday, and he was like, Hey, uh, so I ordered the wrong, like, palm rest. I, I noticed that your computer is space green, uh, space gray, I think is the color. I don't even know. Uh, but I ordered just ordinary gray. So if you don't mind it being two completely different colors, <laughs> I could just fix it right now. Or if you want it to match, I could order the other palm rest. It would take a, a few more days. And I'm like, yeah, just order the right color, man. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime... Who's one of the worst backup quarterbacks of all time? Like Nathan Peterman? Remember when he threw five interceptions? He's one of the worst. Nathan Peterman is like Tom Brady compared to my backup computer. <laughs> this thing is trash, Jay Cook. It's killing me. So it's it's coming up with a with a stint in the XFL is what you're telling me. This is what it sounds like. That's where it's headed. Oh, man, dude, like, <laughs> I can't even describe it. Slow, like just to turn it off. I'll give you just 30 seconds on this stupid computer here, okay? Just to turn it off is about a 10-minute process. And just to power it back on and get everything, like Word documents and Chrome and all that, it's another 10-minute process. And because there's a little water on it, maybe that has something to do with it now that I'm talking through this, Jay Cook. It's like a 2011 computer here, okay? Like a MacBook Pro. Yeah. And so a guy in the Portland area fixed it, but it has to be plugged in now constantly. So if you accidentally rip the cord out, it powers off. Like that it's just yeah, it's duct tape here. That's what happened you know? with my 2013 Mac uh, and I I've since, you know, it's time to put it to rest but towards the end of the life cycle there yeah it was you got to leave it plugged it's in rough. if it comes unplugged rough, rough. game over for you game you're over. done um and yeah the processing speeds were down it's slow there's a lot of i'm not going to dive into the tech weeds there but there's a lot of differences between probably what you're operating with before and the way that memory is processed on the old oh, 2011 man. model uh but with the way this increase of complaints have happened because it's a trend now over the last couple of shows that we've had you in here for yeah i almost would have 
I need I would need to, to get a picture of what it was gonna look like. I almost would have caved and been like, Yeah, man, just just do it. Just give me the <laughs> just give me the, give me the off gray. gray and that's fine. <laughs> I'll be like a car driving down the road where it's like, Well, we can get you that red paint on there, but we also have this like off white magenta combo that's in stock right now. So well, I mean I I guess, man. Whatever, whatever you got to do, you do what you got to do. Maybe you're right. Maybe this is on me, not going with <laughs> multi-tone gray here. Okay, so I'm thinking of a couple of things here, Jay Cook. NBA playoffs and Indianapolis Colts here. Okay, so what I'm thinking with the NBA playoffs, we saw a little bit of this last night with Anthony Davis, one of my friends' fathers. Uh, one of my friends' father uh, calls Anthony Anthony Day to Day Davis. Anthony Data Davis. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I completely screwed that up. But normally it's based on the injury situation. He's normally banged up quite a bit. But in the playoffs, Jimmy, it's just been inconsistency. At times, he has been outstanding. And then last night, he's a no-show. He's a dud. He got outright rebounded by Kevon Looney. He was outstanding on the boards, as we've detailed. But Kevon Looney was under the weather. We didn't even know if he was going to play last night. And Looney had more boards. So Anthony Davis, he didn't show up last night. James Harden, another guy to bring up, game one against Boston, 45 points. He was extraordinary. Hit the go-ahead three. He was outstanding. Game two, 12 points on two of 14 shooting. Not good at all. So the lack of consistency, peaks and valleys, ebbs and flows. And it just made me think of Anthony Richardson, the Colts quarterback, Jimmy. And I I bring this up because you got to see the consistency. Kevin Bowen, there's a lot swirling in this head of mine that's on meds and everything here, Jimmy. But Kevin Bowen was on with us yesterday, and he brought up an interesting point where he was talking about Anthony Richardson missing a lot of the short throws, you know, like from one to nine yards at Florida last year. And I started thinking about that, and I'm like, you know what? I'll ask this question to you, and we'll get back to the consistency thing. Because we'll both be on the same page as far as that goes. Yeah. Would you rather have your quarterback, if you had to choose one bad option, would you rather that your quarterback was inconsistent throwing the ball short or inconsistent throwing the ball deep? Which would be your your choice there? Look, I'm going to answer it the way I play Madden. I, I I need consistency throwing the ball deep. I like it. Like it's I I don't I don't go with short passes very often. That's not the NFL answer, right? Because there's so mm-hmm. many short yardage situations in the league that yes, you'd probably like reliability in short yardage more often than you need reliability on the deep ball because so often situationally in football, at some point you run out of deep balls to throw. You're inside the red zone, and now it's like, all right, yeah, we need a couple five or ten yard completions here to get a set up to punch this one in so the right natural human answer is probably consistency throwing it short but no i I like the deep ball that's what i'm going with there i want the consistency on those 40 yard bombs okay i mean listen i would differ from you just from a couple of of angles here uh you got to hit the layups as an nfl quarterback and there are so many shorter throws in today's nfl where you just get it in the hands of your playmakers and let them rack up those yards after the catch. And so a lot of those throws, we're talking one to nine yards, you just cannot be inconsistent in that regard. And I also think throwing it deeper, those are the lower percentage throws anyway. You know, so I I don't like either option. Don't get me wrong, but if I have to pick one or the other, yeah, I would rather that my QB was more consistent short than he was deep because you're going to be throwing it short more often than deep. 
I would like to think, and again, I'm I'm going slightly outside my lane here with this process, but but I would like to think at least in terms of the way players project out, and I'm using basketball and football here since the easy analogy is a layup. You can't miss the layups. Well, in all honesty, though, layups are the easiest one in the game. So you would think that if you're having an issue with layups, if you're having an issue with short yarded situations, you would be able to clean that up in some way, shape, or form. Not saying you're going to complete every single one of them, but that if there's an issue there or there that's clear on tape, you can clean it up, whether you're in the pocket or whether you're on the hardwood. If you're a bad three-point shooter or you're bad at the long ball, you don't have a deep pass to make, whether it's arm strength, whether it's just you're wildly inaccurate, that's a little harder to fix if it's not there to begin with. You can't suddenly make Shaq a great three-point shooter, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it it just doesn't happen. There's some big guys where you cannot make them good three-point shooters, even in a league where... For the most part now, bigs can do it somewhat, but it's because they've worked really hard at it. So I think that, and maybe I'm oversimplifying this, layups or short yardage passes should be easier to fine-tune and clean up than a long ball because there's so much more that goes into it. So I I guess I'm not as scared by it in that realm of mind as as some might be. You know, I'll bring up your guy, Mahomes, and the quarterback of my team, Tua Tungavailoa, mm-hmm. you know, and you heard this all the time, which is, oh, Tua's not going to be able to throw the deep ball like Mahomes. And I always said, it's like Mahomes doesn't air it out nearly as much as a lot of people think he does. And don't get me wrong, he's outstanding pretty much wherever he throws the ball. But the thought was, like, Tua's not going to have the arm strength to get it out there to Tyreek Hill the way that Mahomes was able to do. And it's like, that that was never really a concern because you're you're talking about maybe one, maybe two passes a game. Right. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, that, that just was never a concern. My whole thing with Tua, if we're talking about can he duplicate what Mahomes does? First off, no. No one can. Yeah. Let's get that out of your head. But where he's going to come up short, it's not about throwing the deep ball, it's about just making something out of nothing, just extending plays, Mm -hmm. changing your arm angle, just those instincts Mahomes has to make something happen where he's near the goal line and pirouettes and throws a Kareem sky hook to (laughs) CEH. You know what I mean? Like that type of stuff. Tua can't do that. No one can do it to the level Mahomes does. But the whole talking point was about throwing the deep ball. But the point is the deep ball it's as not it's not as big of a, a part of the NFL today as a lot of people think it is because you're not going to see the five yard completion lead the highlights on Sports Center. You know what I mean? Yeah. You see a couple of deep balls on Sports Center and you you're led into thinking they're just airing it out left and right. They aren't right, and you have a lot of let's use Miami for an example. You have a lot of situations there where, okay, maybe they're not going deep every time, but you're using a guy like Tyreek across the middle or on a quick slant, or you're setting up an ability to get free in space and utilize his speed, his acceleration, his agility versus just throwing it deep every single time. Like there, There's more complexity to what you can operate with than just one route tree with a guy like Tyreek Hill, with a guy like Jalen Waddell. I, I will say I was on that joking train as well, particularly because Tyreek wasn't helping to his case when he comes out and says, hey, you know, this is the most accurate quarterback I've ever played with. And it's like, well, look, Tyreek, I've seen the deep balls to his throne, but 
Feels like at times you're having to stop and readjust to it. That being said, doesn't mean it's a failed experiment because that's not the only route tree you're relying on. There's more to it than just, yeah, it's a go ball every play. Let's go get six and you know we'll win this game and we'll be fine. You have to be able to hit on every progression in different situations of the game. And if you're having to have one area where you're really bad at, mm-hmm. I guess if I had to choose one, not that like assuming they could all be fixed, right? If I had to choose one, it would probably be that short to medium distance because that is the most arguably important pass that you're going to have to make as a quarterback because so often and in an offense that is built by Jonathan Taylor, you're going to have red zone opportunities where, okay, maybe they're stacking the box and you can't go running game here. You need your quarterback to go make a throw that needs to improve, but I don't think it's unfixable. Well, I like where you're coming from because you can look at things many different ways. So I get your thought is if he's, if Anthony Richardson is struggling with consistency, throwing it short, that seems to be more correctable than if he struggled throwing it deeper. I I completely get that thought process and you're probably right about that. But if you just say, this is what he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's a whole then, of thing. course, you would rather have the shorter be more consistent, the right. shorter throws there. I get that. And the other thing that comes up is if you think about the basketball players that we were talking about, think about Anthony Davis, who is one of the most talented players in the NBA. If you think about James Harden, James Harden's a guy who's won, what, two MVP awards? Mm-hmm. A multi-time MVP? And... Those guys are struggling with consistency. Think about that. Like, we're talking about star players. Harden, not as much a star anymore, but former star player. Anthony Davis is still a star player, although he's inconsistent. So, I'm just, if you compare that to Anthony Richardson, I think it's one of two things, Jay Cook. I think it's you're either unbelievably consistent without making as many special plays as some other quarterbacks. Or you're making crazy amounts of special plays while lacking some general consistency. You know what I mean? I think it's one of the two to be truly special. And you mentioned Harden. For me, the biggest issue I always had with him, and and I go back to, you know, one of my, my cousins is a big NBA fan as well. And I don't remember which game it was, but it was in the 20. 16 2017 season 2017 playoffs I'm pretty sure it was Houston and San Antonio and there were times in that series particularly the closeout where San Antonio beat them where it who is this guy like this Mm -hmm. is not James Harden this is a guy that they found at the Y and decided to you know give him a beard and disguise him as James Harden who who is this player and there have been moments throughout his career in the postseason where just like Anthony Davis to your point the peaks and valleys of it all the peaks have been great. They've been like 40-point performances and him just taking over ball games. The Valleys have been seven points in an elimination game. What are we doing here? And we've talked about how difficult it is to simulate something out when a quarterback hasn't even played a regular season snap. The larger issue for me from a consistency standpoint, you can build your floor whenever you want and you can have as high a ceiling as you want. If by the time you're playing postseason football, if that's where you have your worst games, if that's where the inconsistencies show up, and I know it's different in the NBA because you have a seven-game series to kind of figure it out, it happens in a one-and-done scenario in the NFL playoffs, that follows you forever. And that's something that, again, you can't really project out but you hope that by the time you get there, those shortcomings are are fixed and clarified to a point where this is a franchise quarterback you can count on. Yeah, and I also think that if we're doing a comparison between these three players, 
if you look at Anthony Davis, James Harden, and Colts quarterback Anthony Richardson. Uh, so Anthony Davis, he's an eight-time NBA All-Star. James Harden is a 10-time NBA All-Star. James Harden won the MVP in 2018. Just one. I give him credit for two. So he's a one-time guy. Blame my uh, backup computer on that one. <laughs> Not fast enough on the results there. But, uh, it duplicated uh, Yeah, it duplicated MVP results. I think that just the nature of the two sports, I think it's much more important for a quarterback to be consistent. Yeah. Because if you compare it, look at last night's game. Not a great example, but LeBron played pretty well. And that was a game at least through the first half, you know? Um, it got out of hand in the second half, but the Lakers had a 33-26 lead at the end of the first quarter. You know, they weren't trailing by a ton at halftime, even though they got worked in the second quarter. It was still a game at halftime, and Anthony Davis was just not doing anything. And LeBron was doing his thing. They shot a bunch of threes, and they were in the game. So that's not going to be the case as much in the NFL if your quarterback is giving you the equivalent of James Harden 2-for-14 from the field, like in Game 2, or Anthony Davis, what he did last night. I mean, sure, there are games where you just run it down your opponent's throat and the quarterback doesn't do much beyond handing it off. There are examples of that, but those are outliers. Your quarterback has got to make plays consistently because he's just not going to be hidden the same way maybe an NBA star will depending on his supporting cast. You just got to be more consistent. You can't, like, how many playoff games can you find where a quarterback just stunk it up and the team still won? There's a big difference yeah. between just handing it off and, and watching it like uh, Jimmy Garoppolo style against the Packers in the NFC title game, mm-hmm. or Joe Flacco did that with the Ravens against the Patriots, like four of 10 in one game. I mean, but if Joe Flacco was four of... I don't know, 21 with two interceptions. They're losing that game, right? right? That's the way it goes. The fascinating aspect about this is, and maybe it's just this quarterback class, maybe it's most quarterback classes because people always preach patience or cautious unless it's like a guaranteed, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning type deal right at the top of the draft. You look at Anthony Davis from the moment he stepped on a court, at the NBA level, the thought was, okay, this is going to be an impact guy. And there were times, whether it was during New Orleans or whether it was his first arrival in L.A. a couple years ago, hey, this guy's going to be one of the best players in the league. And it's gotten to a point now in his career, I'm throwing out the injuries aside, and that's a big part of it, and that's a whole other rabbit hole to dive down to. I'm just talking night to night. It's an inconsistency, and he's not a rookie player, right? For Anthony Richardson, right. we are preaching yeah. and and accepting the fact that these type of inconsistencies that you're seeing from the two-star players we're highlighting in Anthony Davis and James Harden in the NBA, that's likely going to be commonplace for year one with Anthony Richardson. The concerning thing about what happens after that and what his career looks like in five years or so is what Anthony Davis is going through right now. Like nothing would be more frustrating to know that you have a franchise guy, whether it's basketball or football, but he's maddeningly inconsistent. You know, that guy has to be at the top of his game. If you're going to have any shot at a championship in this case for Anthony Davis, it's you need 30 a night for Anthony Richardson. It'll be, you need consistency across the board. And if you get one of those valleys at the wrong time, NBA has that buffer period with the multi-game series. NFL does not have it. So we will see it from Anthony Richardson, almost guaranteed year one. What does it look like by the time he is a seasoned veteran in this league? 
Is it the highs and lows of Anthony Davis or is there a more consistent product or is it door number three and it's worse? Yeah, right. Because uh, it's a good point. Uh, Think about the previous series for the Lakers. LeBron was awful in game five. It's a footnote. They won the series. You know, (laughs) that's going to get lost in the shuffle there. If uh, if they ended up losing the series based on that game five, that's not lost in the shuffle at all. And that's what you're getting at in the NFL playoffs. You have a bad game and you get bounced. It lands a lot differently. I also think this. Think about Michael Vick. This popped into my head right before the show where Michael Vick in his career with the Falcons. I remember him throwing four touchdown passes against the Steelers. I don't know why I remember this so vividly. But he threw four touchdown passes, and after the game, he was on the field, and he was like, I think it was post-game press conference, he was like, I never want to hear those questions about my passing ability going <laughs> forward. And it was just like, you fast forward throughout his career, and he had highs, lows, everything in between. His career passer rating was 80.4. That's not good. And Michael Vick, he had some sensational moments, some highlight, just jaw-dropping plays But all things considered, the lack of consistency is what hurt him and and hurt his teams. And that's what we're getting at here is I think Anthony Richardson can make some jaw-dropping plays. But when we're talking about him missing layups and missing throws between one and nine yards, it's like he's never going to be around the league leaders if he doesn't correct that. That, That's just the bare minimum he has to get straight. And it once again goes back to the link that we have between quarterback and and head coach right now because Shane Steichen regardless of the leashes that we talked about earlier in the week of who has the longer leash is it Boward is it Steichen what kind of patience is going to be there between you know Jim Ursay and the Colts as a whole regardless of all of that Shane Steichen is being billed and has the track record as one that's being billed as the next great coach that is able to get the most out of his quarterbacks and You talk about what I would prefer of all things. If it's short yardage situations that is inevitably unfixable, if that's the way it goes to Anthony Richardson, that's not a great look for our guy. That's not a great look for Shane Steichen. If that's the one area you cannot clean up because he has all these emphatic, I can't fully put Hall of Fame stamps on everybody, right? You can likely do it for Rivers. Herbert's very, very young. Hurts, very, very young. You can't quite leap to that point so far, but they've all been pretty consistent products by the time he departed. If you don't get that out of Anthony Richardson by year three or so, and it's still short yardage, head scratching throws in the dirt or passes behind receivers, this is going to look like a very different situation than what we're talking about right now. No doubt. And then you think about this question too, is does Anthony Richardson starting early, does that help or hurt him become more consistent? Right. Like that's the question. And that's a tough thing to figure out if we're being honest with ourselves. And a lot of that is, I hate to give you a weasel answer, but it depends. It depends on what the coaching staff is seeing in practice, how quickly he's digesting everything. You know, the playbook, the reads, uh, the audibles, you know, right. the, the speed of the game. There's a lot at a rookie quarterback to digest. And we've talked about it, Jay Cook. In my mind, it's, is he at a point where you feel pretty strong He's not at great risk to start developing bad habits if we throw him out there. If you feel he's at least at that point where you don't think he's going to be forming bad habits left and right, then I think getting him out on the field 
and trying to improve on that consistency is a good thing. But, uh, I mean, I think you got to be at practice day in, day out to give an honest assessment of yeah. when you think he should start. And if you're not there, I think it's reckless to just be <laughs> taking yeah. guesses from your couch. Like, oh, yeah, he should definitely start in week three. It's like, bro, you haven't been there all every day? Like, what, what do you know if you haven't right. been there? Yeah, the answer to that question is masked, like you mentioned, by what the coaching staff is seeing. But there are ways to dissect it to a point of, of making an educated guess based on the situation. And I'll give you an example that, that you kind of just played off of. If it is a matter of the, the speed of everything based on his processing ability or based on the offense that Steichen's running is overwhelming or to a point he doesn't have it mastered, and then he's going to be trying to just guess on the fly and make reckless decisions, then you're not putting him out there. If it is, oh man, we're, we're, we're quizzing him on these plays, we're putting him in situations, he's looking good with reading and processing things in practice, but you know he's off-platform on a couple of throws, he's not staying steady in the pocket, his feet are off-balance, he's throwing off mm-hmm. his back foot. If it's stuff like that, that you feel like if we put it on game tape and review it through repetition and in film study, then I would lean more towards putting him out there. The other equation is the offensive line. Look, no, nobody's going to have a perfect offensive line in the NFL, right? It's not going to happen. Everybody wants to make these you know, wild comparisons to what Anthony Richardson can be. And while I'm not on board with the whole Patrick Mahomes aspect of it, what the Chiefs learned after that loss to the Buccaneers, and this is what they're experimenting with this offseason, they did to an extent last year as well, is we are going to have the most talent on the offensive line we possibly can. We are not going to put ourselves in a situation where all kinds of interior pressure is going to cost us games. If we are clean on the offensive line, things are going to be fine. Not saying that's the same recipe for success with Anthony Richardson, but this offensive line, you know Anthony Richardson can do it with his legs and get free. You don't want the habit established. That's what he has to do every down. You want the offensive line back to some form they were, two years ago so that he has the ability to make a choice. There's a clear difference between making a choice to go with your legs and feeling like that's the only option you can do on a play-to-play basis. Well, I'll say this real quick or else I'll forget because, you know, I'm, I'm, I got meds all throughout my system <laughs> over here. You know what's funny to me is um, if Anthony Richardson fixes his you know, short throwing consistency. He's making the layups. He's more pinpoint. Shane Steichen's going to get the credit for it. And Shane Steichen might deserve the credit for it. Maybe Anthony Richardson just got with his quarterback coach and and worked his backside off and got more consistent. You know what I mean? Like, think about Josh Allen with the Bills, where it's not like Sean McDermott gets any credit for... Josh Allen being a more consistent, more pinpoint passer, right? Because Sean McDermott's a defensive-minded coach. right? And, like, who knows? Maybe McDermott had a little to do with it. Most likely, Josh Allen just got with his quarterback coach and worked his genitals off and (laughs) has better footwork and better mechanics, and he's much more consistent. But you know what I'm saying? It's like if Anthony Richardson does clean that short, throwing uh, stuff up, it's going to be like, oh, here we go again, Shane Steichen. This is a, <laughs> he is a quarterback whisperer. And in reality, maybe that's true. Maybe it's partially true. Maybe it's just Anthony getting with this QB coach like Josh Allen did. There is a thing, and I fully believe it, in the NFL of being a, a quarterback whisperer to the extent that you can get the most out of the quarterback you have. But it is a symbiotic relationship between coach and player. It's like that throughout time 
in any sport, the players usually always get all the credit. The coaches helped along the way. If you give the coach too much credit, well, look at the players that he had. There's a fine line, though, between being able to actually get development out of a player and their own actual work that they put in and the ceiling that they have as an athlete, as a quarterback in this league. Mm -hmm. Andy Reid got the most he could out of Alex Smith, elevated Donovan McNabb, helped Michael Vick get back to form. Did he help with Patrick Mahomes' growth? Absolutely. But Patrick Mahomes, of all of those quarterbacks I just listed, way higher ceiling, way more talented, had more raw potential than any of the quarterbacks I just mentioned to a point that do you overinflate the coach sometimes? True. The real rational thing, which we don't do in sports, would be it's a, it's a, it's a two-way street with that relationship. They both put equal work in. Sometimes the quarterback is a freak of nature. It just happens. It works out that way. You got you to gotta put a quarterback in a position to succeed. Yes. Yes. And Steichen certainly did that with Jalen Hurts last year in Philly. They changed their scheme all around to fit what he did best. And then you think about the counter to that, I think would be Mitch Trubisky in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They, they wanted Mitch to just be a drop-back quarterback. And it's like, that's not what Mitch is. That, that's not <laughs> what he does. You got to move the pocket, use his athleticism. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it starts with, and Steichen's done a great job of this, is putting a quarterback in the right system for him to maximize his talents. I think Steichen will do that. Now, as far as the the precision and the accuracy, and I think a lot more of that is on Richardson, going through the reps, mm-hmm. getting it down. Uh, and Steichen might bring a little bit out of that, uh, but I, I think it's more so on a rich and and doing the Josh Allen thing, just working on consistency, working on footwork, mechanics, all that good stuff. And Steichen's a former quarterback himself. I think he's going to help in that regard. But I'm just saying he'll get all the credit when in reality it, it might might not be that the case there. But we got a lot to do here, Jay Cook. We are awfully chatty today. That is a good sign. Coming up next, you've got to question the move that this team just made. I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Man, this reminds me of a pool hall in South Bend. <laughs> Devil goes down to Georgia. I don't know what it was about this pool hall. Are you hustling was, people? No, I wasn't. It was just kind of like the cool hangout spot. Everybody used to go there. I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me, but they would always play that song. Every single time, Jimmy, Devil Goes Down to Georgia. Every time you were there or on a constant loop throughout the entirety <laughs> of that evening? <laughs> Every time I was there, it was played. It was a staple. I don't know what it was about that song. But how about this? Mike Budenholzer fired as the Bucks head coach. Now, a couple of particulars. We'll bring it back to the Pacers in a second. But Budenholzer, five years with, with the uh, Bucks, winning percentage was about 70 like 700, if you will, right? He won 70% of his games there. They won a championship two seasons ago, and he gets run out of town. He was former coach of the year, and they had a first-round exit against Miami. I mean, I look at Bud and say, good Lord. The other thing to consider is this, Jimmy. He had a brother die 
before game four of that series against Miami. And he didn't miss a game. He still coached yeah. through that. And so I look at this and I'm like, was it that bad? Was it that broken in Milwaukee that they had to run Bud out of town? And the way I would tie it back to the Pacers is, imagine if this was the equivalent with Indiana. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that huge of a stretch. Imagine if they got a player as talented as Giannis. Imagine if Bud was around in Indiana for the last five years. He was the coach of the year. He won a championship. And they had this very, very disappointing first-round exit against the team, losing as a one-seed. I would just be like, we really fired this guy? Are you serious? That's how I see it. What do you think about this deal? So, and this is just the human element of me, uh, I was ready to go strong into this. I really was. And then I'd forgotten about the fact that his brother passed and and, and that this had just happened in the series. So, you know, maybe from that aspect, like, you got to take everything into account there. If you're going to make that decision at some point, fine. But did you really have to do it, like, right after yeah. the series, I've I've never been in Bud's corner, right? I've always been one of those people that feels like as a series goes on, he is going to get either out-adjusted or out-coached. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and wins that championship. It's like, it, you know what? Maybe everybody was wrong. Maybe, you know, he, he is the right guy for Milwaukee, and maybe everybody was too hard on him. And then for the second time in, what, three years, four years? I know one of them was the bubble, Eric Spolster and Jimmy Butler run circles around Milwaukee. This time, a little different than the time in the bubble because Giannis was a little banged up and they played with their food. Probably, you know, got bit in the backside because of it. I don't I don't hate it. Like, I, I, I don't hate it, even the championship aside. I feel like this was going to happen a year or two earlier. If they don't win that title, that's a conversation you have of what-ifs throughout time, right? But... I wasn't surprised that he got the boot, though the optics of it again with the death in the family, this that soon after that happens, plus the series right away, a tough look for Milwaukee in that regard. Well, and the there are a couple other things here too, which is Giannis got hurt in that first round series. Yep. Remember he had the back injury, so he missed uh, what at least one and a half games. I don't know if it was more than that, Jay Cook. I think that's what it was. Was one and a half games. But still, not having Giannis out there for the full series obviously hurt. Yeah, The front front office didn't take that into account by running Bud out of town. And Giannis, you know, after the series, he talked about there is no failure, right? Only steps to success. Uh, this is a portion of what Giannis had to say. Check this out, and we'll, we'll bring it back to Bud here momentarily. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. Michael Jordan played 15 years. Won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports is about. Okay, I get that. This is just a matter of perspective, and he's turning a negative into a positive. He's looking at the long haul over here. I get that, but failure absolutely exists in yeah. sports. Yep. There is no doubt about that. It was an epic failure with the Bucks losing as a one seed. Best record not only in the Eastern Conference, but in the entire NBA. They lose as a one seed in a gentleman's sweep. That's an epic failure. And now Giannis did miss a game and a half. He missed 13 free throws 
in that game five that decided the whole thing. So that was way more of a failure of Giannis, but Bud is playing is paying the price for it. You know, I I look more at Giannis like, dude, what are you doing? You missed 13 free throws in one game <laughs> and you're saying there's no failure in sports? It's there's a ripple effect. And this is the case where Bud gets run out of town and Giannis can think whatever he wants that there's no failure in sports, it doesn't exist. Well, others paid the price for it because it was a failure by the team not advancing. There are different expectations. For, for every franchise and for every individual player. And is Giannis right in the aspect that if you're a young up-and-coming team or you're like a, a middle-of-the-pack seed within, we'll stick with the NBA just for this conversation, within your conference and you win a series, but like the thought was, hey, they're a dark horse to win the championship. Okay, maybe when it filters away and you're done with your second-round exit, you can look back and say, yeah, we accomplished a lot there. When you're a one seed, you're an NBA champion, and you're as established superstar as Giannis is, it's it's going to be measured as a failure. It doesn't mean that you as a player are a failure, like like you and your body of work is a failure. Right. But yes, if you have goals and championship aspirations, and I mean legitimate ones, right? Everybody has, right. the, I'm sure, a sign in the locker room. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna win a championship this year. Play like champions to get it today. Done. Play like a champion today. Shout out to to the Irish there. Irish. Good, good, good work with you, Eddie. Uh, but seriously, everybody has his expectations. It's different when the championship culture has been established, when you reach that new peak of this was our goal, we didn't achieve it, it's ultimately a failure. And and I, I get and I appreciate Giannis's authenticity. I, I'm never going to knock an athlete for that because so often we get robotic answers. Mm-hmm. I get where he's coming from, yeah. but it, Milwaukee was not a little Cinderella darling of like a five seed this year. They were They were picked by many books to win the whole thing. It, it, a couple years ago, Milwaukee is that, right? It's a, it's a team that's trying to break through that wants to capture their first NBA championship since 71. Now they've done that. Now they have the elite superstar. They have a franchise face. The expectations change. Yeah, this wasn't like uh, the better part of the Final Four that we just saw. Where it's like, whoa, man, this team kind of came from nowhere. And if they didn't win a championship, you weren't just lambasting them. It's not you FAU getting beat on a buzzer beater, exactly. right? There's different expectations That's right. here. We're not killing Dusty May <laughs> for not getting the job done. Uh, but we would kill if it's, I don't know, it's uh, a blue blood that's a one seed sure. and, and they don't get it done. It's just different. So Milwaukee, you're right. Having the best record in the NBA, they're going to get crushed for it. Now, there is a, a layer of this that this is the uncomfortable conversation. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I think it needs to be brought up. Because when Dwayne Casey got ran out of town with the Toronto Raptors, I just thought about this right before the show. And so I I did a quick search about what was said at the time when Dwayne Casey was fired as the Raptors head coach. He had just been named coach of the year. And there were a couple of things that popped up. And there was one thing, a headline that caught my eye. This was written by... Uh, Bruce C.T. Wright on News One. And the uh, title is, Even in basketball, black people must be twice as good as their white counterpart counterparts or else. And I would just put C. Budenholzer, comma, Mike. Okay? Because Mike Budenholzer just got ran out of town as a coach of the year, as a champion, as a guy who won 70% of his games. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is, This is the only point I'm trying to drive home. Sometimes things in sports that seem to be racist, feel as if they're racist, 
are not actually racist, okay? Dwayne Casey losing his job. He was fired by Masai Ujiri, the president of the Raptors. Masai is not white, okay? He is not racist. And so it might seem like you got to do twice as good a job. No, no, no. Budenholzer just got ran out of town, and he's got a decorated resume. It happens. So all I'm saying is sometimes what appears to be maybe something funky is going on here, or this is flat-out racism – Sometimes it isn't in sports. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes larger for me with the hiring practice versus the firing practice, right? Anybody can be fired, but there, there's a clear discrepancy across sports, and it is getting better of you know the percentage of minority head coaching candidates or actual minority head coaches across sports. That, that, that's that's an entirely different conversation in terms of, of what Coach Casey was referring to there, but also big picture from just the... NBA Finals winners since 2015. I can't remember if this is stats and info or, or, or where I saw it last night. Since 2015, every Finals head coach winner has been yeah. bounced, except for Steve Kerr, and he's won five champion or yeah four championships over that time. Yeah. So three of the, three of the last four champion head coaches yes. have been fired. Yes, because we've got what Vogel in there, yep. Budenholzer. Yeah, Steve Kerr's the only. <laughs> Is he going to get bounced if they don't beat the Lakers? Is that what's going to happen over here? I don't think so, no. All right, coming up next, would you want to see this guy in a local uniform? I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Can I interest you in Dylan Brooks? Dear God. As the uh, newest member of the Pacers, could I uh, interest you in that there, Jay Cook, at all? No? Maybe? Nah, I'm, I'm good. How did they good. phrase it? No uncertain terms. What, 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 what was it? The strong take by the Grizzlies in terms of uh, their negotiations oh, yeah. with... Under uh, no circumstances. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Under no circumstances <laughs> do I want any part of that. No, thank you. I'm good. Yeah, uh, Dylan Brooks's agent came out and said, do not appreciate the wording from Sham Sharanya there with uh, the way he painted that picture that the Grizzlies, according to Brooks's agent, did not indeed say that. But yeah, Memphis is moving Dylan Brooks. It's an interesting piece by John Hollinger. So he writes for The Athletic, and he was part of the Grizzlies front office when they drafted Dylan Brooks. I thought it was a very fair piece. He didn't paint this picture of, he's misunderstood, he's intense, and that's overwhelmingly good for your team. It was like, hey, this is where he helps your team. This is where he hurts the team. Uh, that was a very, very fair um, column that Hollinger wrote. Pretty cool. But he talked about it, and it's a lot like uh, Draymond, I think, which uh, Hollinger spelled out. He's talking about it's a tricky balance, right, where being incredibly competitive like Dylan Brooks is – that's helped him get into the NBA because he's undersized. Like he's one of the few players where his wingspan is shorter than his height. <laughs> like it normally is not the case. And he's a very good defensive player. He unraveled shooting the three against the Lakers, but he's shooting in the mid thirties for four seasons. Like overwhelmingly he's been pretty decent 
as a 3 and D guy, I know he's just got a stench on him right now. It's almost like you just see a skunk and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, you know? And I, I, I don't know, wherever he ends up, it might make a team better. I know that sounds crazy, but if he ends up with the Dallas Mavericks, they need a defensive right. guy like Dylan Brooks. So depending on the fit, I think he could help a team. Look, there's a future for Dylan Brooks steer, still here in the NBA. And is he the sole reason they lost that series? No. I- injuries mattered a lot in terms of the way they could match up when they lost Steven Adams a little bit earlier in the year. And, you know, I would love to say that, well, John not being 100% mattered, but the dude still dropped like basically 45 at will whenever he wanted to. So it's hard to have that built-in excuse for him. But yes, they took a step back at times when it was Brooks out there being dared to shoot threes mm-hmm. instead of Kennard out there knocking him down at will for Memphis. Look, I can't talk to this perspective, so I'll let someone that's playing the NBA do it for me. Shaq said it the other night for Dylan Brooks with where he's at in his career. Sometimes get yourself a little bit of money, start feeling yourself, mm-hmm. get yourself a little ice, start feeling yourself, start playing with a superstar like John ja Morant, start feeling yourself a little bit. If you don't make sure that you're still level-headed with all that and you don't get too carried away and don't forget about working on yourself, sometimes it comes back to bite you. Do I think it's over for him in the NBA? No, but a lot of unnecessary baggage added for him in a contract mm-hmm. year based on the way he went about that entire Memphis LA series. Yeah, I think I think way more people are prone to look at what just happened mm-hmm. than the entire body of work. And I get that it's hard not to do that because it was so in your face. He's you know, he's trolling LeBron by saying he's old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like and then going out there and not backing it up. That is definitely going to hurt his value on the open market, but there's going to be someone that takes him and uh, you know, if he's able to at least, that's the tough part is sometimes your your biggest strength is your biggest weakness, right. you know? And uh, that could be the case with Dylan Brooks where he's uber competitive and that's helped him get into the NBA to begin with because he's a little pudgy guy, you right. know? And now he's chiseled and he just works his butt off. But sometimes he just gets into these beefs and he gets competitive to a fault and it hurts the team. So Hollinger's right. It is a very tricky balance but he's got to be able to figure out how to get that uh, channeled the right way or it's just going to be more of the same. And this is going to be how we talk about him from here on out. You know, it, It's on him at this point. It, everything that happens, this is a, a career fork in the road for him. Everything that happens moving forward, he's going to have to resell himself to teams and free agency or his agent's going to have to do it. And there'll be questions about, hey, have you learned from this? How are things going to be different? But we don't want to fully take away your competitive fire because there's guys that are able to do it. Draymond's the extreme example because he still gets penalized for it and gets tossed and you know yelling at fans, but he backs it up whenever he returns. Patrick Beverly is one of the most noted trash talkers in the NBA. For the most part, he backs it up. Like it, you need to be able to at some point meet in the middle with where your trash talk is compared to what your play is on the floor. I'm not saying it has to totally change who Dylan Brooks is, but yes, it's a look in the mirror moment for him. How is he going to learn? How is he going to bottle up that? energy and be a tool versus a headache for the next franchise that decides to bring him in. Uh, Real quick, a funny story here. Jay Cook, Brian, knowing Jimmy Cook with you here on the fan. So did you catch where Aaron Rodgers and Sauce Gardner of the New York Jets, they were at the Knicks game the other night. I think they were at game two. Um, And uh, 
hit Sauce Gardner, the cornerback, defensive rookie of the year. He didn't know who Jessica Alba was. How do you not know who that <laughs> attractive woman is? And he came in angry about that. I know, he came in. Yep. Off the turnbuckle on that one right there. Frog splash, Eddie Guerrero style. Yep. Um, yeah, like, do you go Alba or Alba, by the way? What do you say? Alba. Jessica I, go, I Alba. think I go Alba, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I go Alba as well. But uh, Alba tweeted, she was like, I totally see how this kid's sauce got his name. He said to my girl Elizabeth, how can I get caught up when I'm the catch? <laughs> and so a great line right there. So Sauce, he responded to that and wrote, damn, it's been two days and you still remember what I said word for word? I just might be him. <laughs> That is hilarious to me, man. You got to have uber confidence as an NFL cornerback. And uh, Sauce absolutely does have that. And if you're going to have the name Sauce, you got to be able to have the swag to back it up. Game has to be on and off the field. And and Sauce Garter definitely has that. That's that's pretty strong. Pretty strong by Sauce. All right, coming up next, J.P. Shadrick. He covers the Jags. Man, how things have turned quickly for Jacksonville in the AFC South. We'll break down some ball with JP coming up. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. Here on The Fan, want to welcome in JP Shadrick, senior reporter for Jaguars.com. Also does some college football and NFL play-by-play for Westwood One. Joins us here on The Fan. Welcome in, JP. You know, it's funny. I was like, how bad was it for the Jags right before last season when they won the division? Last place four years in a row until last year, and now overwhelming favorites to win the division again. Did it ever feel like we were going to get to this point for Jacksonville? Well, first off, it's good to be with you. And second, you know, even last season, they were four games back in the division race. And somehow walked down the Tennessee Titans to to win the division. They uh, got hot at the right time. Tennessee started to falter. There were the head-to-head matchups, of course. The Jaguars had to win those. And somehow got it done down the stretch. They stopped turning the ball over. It's been a long way since 2017. The last time they were in the playoffs, of course, before last year. There's been so much change in so many ways. The organization, coaching changes, uh, GM change. Uh, and they just say, you know, personnel has been moved all over the place. They haven't been able to re-sign some first-round picks. And, you know, it's just been a lot of – and that's not even a, a new phenomenon. That's a 10- to 15-year issue, really, for the organization. But hopefully it feels like that has settled down. Uh, certainly some with the front office in good shape, a head coach who's been at it for a long time and understands what it's supposed to feel like. And, yes, the quarterback is arguably the most important part of that. So they finally have the quarterback playing uh, smart football, good football, and now they can put the pieces around him to make this uh, repeat run, if not more than that. JP, I know the conversation has been around the AFC South trying to chase what the Jaguars finally have in a franchise quarterback and all the mocks leading up to it. Sure, there were a couple scenarios where the AFC South opponents, Colts, Texans, Titans, are able to take quarterbacks in this draft and and potentially fix those holes and get franchise QBs. But by the time Thursday and Friday night ended, were you surprised that of this class, three of the top four actually wound up in division in this chase to try to compete with Trevor Lawrence and the Jags? Not at all. I mean, it it made sense. And I think Judy Batista of NFL.com wrote it after the fact on Saturday that there were some some major storylines in the draft, a couple of things here or there. But the one to her was, 
the race to stop Trevor Lawrence. And you guys in Indianapolis know well, if you have that set up in a division that's not ready for it, you can really handle it for a long time, handle the division and, and control it. Um, I don't know if the Titans are quite ready to, to give it up year over year. I mean, they're a fumble away from winning the division. All right? I mean, it's not like they got blown out. They, like I said, they had a four-game lead. So they still feel like they have some juice in that running game and some, some pieces they can get some things done there. Uh, Indy's got a little bit of a project to get back on track, it feels like, and, uh, you know, it's happening down in Houston. So, um, no, I'm not surprised at all because that's the way of the world in the NFL right now. It's an offensive league. The top teams, certainly in the AFC, are scoring close to 30 points per game. And if you don't do that, you're not going to hang with them. And that's really the next step for the Jags is to try to circle around that and score and, and keep up with the teams that you lost to and faced in the playoffs because you're going to face them, it feels like, year after year because they have quarterbacks too. It's not just in the division, right? Yeah. So, yes, you need a quarterback in the division, but once you finally crack that code, you're in the playoffs against Mahomes and the Chargers and all these other the Bills, all these great teams of quarterbacks who've been there. So you, you better get one. I love you. I, I want to hear your answer from a, a Jaguars point of view, right? When you look at the three other rookie quarterbacks in the division, when it's C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, who do you see being the best of the three down the road that could be the toughest test for the Jags going forward? Well, I'll tell you that uh, I saw Stroud firsthand a good bit the last few years doing college football. And obviously he had some fantastic weapons around him with those great receivers two years ago at Ohio State. And he could stand in there. If he had the time, he could make an accurate throw 50 yards down the field. Just just had everything about him, it felt like to me. Uh, Bryce Young, without the size issues, if you're into calling it an issue, I don't know if it is, but he has the moxie to overcome a lot of that stuff. I did the Iron Bowl game in 2021 where he had no timeouts at his own three, didn't have Jamison Williams on the field, drives down the field, they tie the game, win it in four overtimes. That that was a huge moment, obviously, for him and, and probably since the Heisman Trophy for him in that season. I did not get to see Will Levis in person but he has that big arm, and we'll see what happens. You know, you know, will they force him on the field? I don't know about that. Maybe it's a year in training, and then you give him an opportunity. You know, Stroud's going to have every chance down there. He's the guy. You know, it feels like I, I, if if Davis Mills gets on the field before him, I'd be shocked. Obviously, and then uh, Bryce. They said the other day, uh, Bryce Young in Carolina is going to get on. You know, we'll see. He's not going to get given uh, right away to him, um, and then. In Indianapolis, hey, what happens with Anthony Richardson, right? I mean, this is that's that's a fascinating pick to me, you know, because um, what his passing his per, completion percentage is like fifty five percent or something, but he can do so many other things that some of these guys just can't do. And I did a game, the Florida at South Florida game two years ago, where he had he stepped in off the bench, and he had run for like one hundred and seventy yards a week before. First play, fakes the run, steps back, throws a 75-yard touchdown over a defense, right? Later in the game, he's running for an 80-yard touchdown, which is unbelievable. Um, so he can do all that. Can he develop into a an NFL, more of a stand-in-there, throw-it-around, accurate passer? Time will tell, man, and I'm curious to see it because he can do everything else, that's for sure. 
J.P. Chadrick, senior reporter for Jaguars.com. Nice enough to take some time with us. J.P., eight of the draft selections by the Jaguars on the defensive end. You mentioned keeping pace not only with quarterbacks in division and having to you know kind of stave them off, but the elite of the elite that are in this AFC arms race at the quarterback position. What were your overall takeaways on the defensive side of the ball of how the Jaguars addressed those needs when knowing that you're going to have to get to the quarterback in some capacity if you want to have a shot in these playoff games. Yeah, for for the defense, they they've said all offseason that pass rush is a priority. Yes, obviously they didn't have a lot of sacks last year, but they've spent a lot of draft equity at pass rush the last four years. Josh Allen was a top ten pick, of course. Uh, last year, Trayvon Walker was the number one overall pick, and Doug Peterson said it himself just a few weeks ago. Hey, at some point, these guys have to play better too. Basically, I mean, you, you have to develop if you're a first. I mean, you know, we can't keep spending all these high, high draft picks on this over and over again. I mean, right. at some point, you've got to play better. So I think that's the pressure, putting a little bit of pressure on those guys' performance. Year five for Josh Allen, year two for Trayvon Walker. We'll see if he's comfortable. So I didn't see them going after pass rush early in the draft no matter what. I didn't think that was going to be the case considering what he said on that. I thought they might have gone for a cornerback. They could have used a, a nickel corner. They ended up getting one in the fifth round. Uh, that can play corner, Antonio Johnson from A&M. You know, we'll see how he does. In the future, he could be a safety, but they might start him at nickel to begin and see how he performs there. In the pass rush, they, you know, they re-signed Roy Robertson-Harris to a long-term deal. You know, he came in in free agency a couple of years ago. They like him up front. Um, they've got Tyler Lacey coming in from Oklahoma State in the fourth round. Let's see what he can do. He can play a couple different positions. Yasir Abdullah. Might be a little bit of a developmental player. He's uh, smaller in stature in terms of height and weight, but let's see what he can bring to the table. It's just about competition at that point for, for defense. So, hey, the focus was on offense. First three rounds, they went offense. Tackle, tight end, running back to fill those little voids there and, like we said, try to outscore these other teams while maybe developing some defensive pieces later that can do enough to slow them down. Break serve, if you will. Like Get an extra takeaway. You know, you get another field goal a game. Jags were like 23 points per game, almost 24. You get another field goal, you're 27, 28, and all of a sudden you're top four in the league in scoring, and that changes a whole lot of the dynamic. They don't need to be the 2,000 Ravens on defense. They just need, you know, a few more takeaways, impactful plays to set up this offense. He's J.P. Shadrick from Jaguars.com, also Westwood One, joining us here on The Fan. You know, JP, a lot of teams will build their squad to win the division first and then challenge from there. Do you see the thinking changing at all for Jacksonville when you consider just in the conference, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, right? Do you see them getting away from, hey, instead of let's just say the Colts are a juggernaut and they run the ball like crazy, let's load up on D-line. Do you see the Jags starting to think bigger than just like – Mounting up to win the division, per se? Oh, they're saying it in, in public, too. It's not like they're not hiding it. You know, they're, they're not just, hey, let's just look at our draft picks after the fact and, and, and read the tea leaves. They're, they've been saying it. Doug Peterson said it right after the playoff loss last year in the division round. It's like, okay, we know the standard now is this. In order for us to take the next step, we have to be able to hang with these teams. So, how do you hang with those teams? You score, you, 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 you do some different things on offense. Um, now, will they consistently sweep the Tennessee Titans? I don't know. They, they weren't that, you know, they didn't blow them out either time. Let's put it that way, right? Those are really good football games, and 
were toss-up games that they ended up winning in key moments late. Um, you know, what's the real long-term future for Derrick Henry in Tennessee? I think it's a fair question. And, you know, obviously they're thinking about the quarterback position since they went with Levis uh, in the second round there. So, hey, that's – I think you're spot on. They've said it. It's the Chiefs. It's the Bills. It's the Chargers. It's those teams you're going to see in the playoffs – because the expectation now is to be in the playoffs somehow. And the easiest way is to go win that division. But it's really not about the other teams in the division. It's about yourself, building the best team you can. Let them worry about coming to you. And it's just a different mindset around here now. I mean, this is not – this is an organization that has won uh, only the AFC South twice in its whole existence. So uh, having that kind of uh, hunted mentality is, is much different. You mentioned that – expectation shift JP from the offensive standpoint obviously everything that went on in year one and then the massive leaps that Trevor Lawrence took in year two and Doug Peterson able to take him under his wing and and, and mold him in the type of quarterback that everybody thought he was going to be out of college what are the expectations for this offense going into year three of Trevor Lawrence there you know we were talking about this on some shows a couple of weeks ago we have bucky brooks who's on with us nfl network analyst former jaguar he's on with us every week on a few different programs and we're talking about the similar idea right and there's a there's a possibility just considering the names that are on this roster that the jags could push at least for three 1,000-yard receivers and a 1,000-yard rusher all on the same team. That's only happened twice in the history of the NFL, right? The 1995 Falcons did it. Um, June Jones was the coach. Of course, Jeff George throwing it around everywhere. And then the 04 Colts, you guys know very well. It's a really good team there, obviously, with Peyton and the receivers and, and Edron in the backfield. Uh, they have the personnel, at least last year. They got 2,000-yard receivers last season, right? You add Calvin Ridley to the mix, who's eager to play, who's on a contract year, who needs to prove a lot on and off the field. Uh, motivation is not an issue there, certainly. And then ETN and a stable of running backs that can balance them out and give them some breather. And a, a quarterback who's trying to keep up with the Joneses in the AFC, hey, that's a good recipe. So that's what they're looking for. I think it's production. I think it's scoring points. It is pushing the envelope with different formations and things we might not have even seen last year. They've added a tight end in the draft. So that possibility changes things, too. So that's where they are. It's a good place to be. It's going to be fun to watch. I know that. Hey, JP, thanks for the time, man. Hope you have a good weekend. We'll catch you later. All right, guys. Have a good one. Appreciate it. You too, JP. You too. JP Shadrick, Jaguars.com, Westwood One play-by-play guy, college football and NFL. You know, it's a shame you didn't get to see Will the Thrill in, in person. There. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he loses sleep at night over that, particularly with, with Trevor Lawrence just a, just a few doors down. I'm sure he's really yeah. kicking himself. Uh, he should be. He should be. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I'll say this real fast, and uh, we'll get into the QBs in a second. But he mentioned Bucky Brooks. So I did a show with Bucky a month or two ago. And I said, I, I'm like, I think this would be funny. It's before the draft, obviously. And I said, you know, I, I had him watch my high school football highlights and break it down like an NFL scout. And I'm like, really, just if I'm slow, if my accuracy sucks, just really break it down. You know, just let me know what's up. And so he went through this. He's watching it live and just giving his assessments. And at the end, he goes, you're kind of like a baby Purdy. 
is what he said. A little purdy-ish. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, went on with the 49ers. He's just, you know, short little dump-offs, quick passes, you know, that sort of thing. And what's funny, Jimmy, is I've been banging on Brock Purdy because it was just, oh my gosh, this guy came from nowhere. And look at him throw to a wide-open George Kittle. This is amazing. And then, yeah, Bucky Brook say that I'm I'm Purdy-ish at the end of it. <laughs> Full circle right there. Full circle. Are we saying there's an alternate universe where you're under center for the 49ers? Is that, is that what we're saying here? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying any of that. I just thought it was very funny. Yeah. By the way, think about this. If you consider the Jags from a Colts point of view, okay? The Jags last season, they won the division. They were 9-8. and eight. Jimmy, the four seasons before last year, Jacksonville's combined record was... 15 and 50 over four (laughs) years they were 15 and 50 and then won the division last season and so listen I hope that the Colts are going to go 15 and 50 over the next four years don't get me wrong but it might take a little bit of time and then if you have a Trevor Lawrence like quarterback and make other smart moves then yeah you can pop all of a sudden you could be atop the division just like Jacksonville is I hope so too, that it's not a 15 and 50 stretch because you talk about role reversals and JP kind of alluded to it a little bit last time we had him on during the season last year that you could start to feel the shift a little bit in terms of, Hey, maybe the Jaguars really do have their franchise quarterback. And for years, multiple teams in this division, the shoe's been on the other foot. They've been the team that does not have that elite level talent guy. They had to deal with Manning. They had to deal with Luck. And now the Jaguars are very much in this weird, like, giddy perspective where, yes, the expectations are now real, but they have that answer. They have the solution at quarterback. Now expectations are there. We draw back to our conversation about Giannis's comments. I'm not saying that a Lombardi trophy is the only way that the Jaguars season is not a failure next year, but you're stepping into that territory where now you miss out on the South, even if JP is Still a little cautious, even though I disagree with him, on the Titans still being a real threat in the division this year anyway. You slip up and don't win the South. Yes, that's considered a failure now in Jaguars fans' minds because of the expectation reset that has happened with Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. By the way, JP, the computer place was just calling me right there. I didn't want to cut you off. Are you, tell, say, are you telling the guy we yeah, just hung JP, up on, or yeah. are you telling me? I'm confused yeah. what's happening here. No, the, the computer help place <laughs> with my computer that I desperately need back was just calling in, and I was going to say, hey, uh, Jimmy, should I take this call live on the air? <laughs> with him saying, Brian, everything's great, just like brand new. You can pick it up anytime today, you know, but... Yeah, I didn't want to cut you off like that, Jimmy. So that's kind of you. That's the that's the rapport and the respect that we've built here. I, on the I can't just show. you know you know like uh, you know club you over the head and <laughs> get you off the road. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. can't do that to you. But probably would have been bad radio anyway. Yeah, it's tough. I don't I don't like the whole taking taking calls on your thing. At least no, you know you the like, colors match. What's that? Oh, well, he, like the well, he might space not. gray. Maybe it's not there. Maybe it's a new problem. Hey, oh. by the way, uh, actually, your screen uh, only half of it's going to work now. I could order the <laughs> you know an extra part to fix that, but it's good. this could be bad news. We don't know. We have no idea. Hey, he left a voicemail, so this would actually be better. I could uh, try to. I don't know how these like modern voicemails works. I sound so old right now, but if I can send it to myself and grab the audio, maybe we could do that. Might even be better. That might even be better. Now, one thing, though, I got to say, 
and uh, I could be going into jerk territory here. I would argue I'm going into truth territory. But it just made me think of something here with JP, what he just said about Anthony Richardson. And he's right, but it isn't both sides of the equation here. What he said is completely true about Anthony Richardson. He can do some special things that other quarterbacks just cannot do. Well, there are some things that these other quarterbacks can do that Richardson has shown he's not great at. Complete passes, okay? Like, that's kind of important as well. I get the upside and, man, look at the athleticism and look at the 40 time and we've got the simulation camera. Wow, man, he dusted Patrick Mahomes and we ooh and ah. But at the end of the day, it's not about doing you know, cartwheels and backflips and throwing the ball 70 yards or hitting the roof. Or, it's playing consistent football and completing a lot of passes. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, you've got to correct that. I'm not saying he can't, but instead of just giving this Richard, Richardson can do things that these other quarterbacks can't, well, it works both ways. These other quarterbacks have completed a lot more passes and have a higher completion percentage than he does, and he's got to correct that. And again, I'm of the mindset that he will, but I understand that of the two of us, I, I'm more optimistic about a lot of things in that regard. However, the whole point of the pick, and this will continue to be the conversation that happens until week one, is the it factor of it all if he can clean up the areas where you would think they are teachable areas to clean it up. You cannot teach otherworldly athleticism in the same way with your mark against Bryce Young. You can't teach height. You can't suddenly make a prospect taller, but there are at least areas with Anthony Richardson's profile, with his scout, with his tape, where you think you can fix it, where you think you can fine tune it. You have to see if it actually happens, but you have at least a diagnosis of, okay, we have an idea of how we can fix this. Let's try to do it. If it turns out that all of a sudden you have a different part in the project to go back to your computer analogy and you're having to delay it year after year after year, all of a sudden it's no longer a, but look at the upside he has. It's, it's not going to happen for this guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I mean, I get it. I'm not, you know, I'm not upset about it. Richardson has some ability that the other rookie quarterbacks do not have. That's absolutely the case. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. Right. Some of the measurables, some of the athleticism, like these other quarterbacks can't duplicate that. Uh, CJ, uh, I'm sorry, Bryce Young is nowhere near the same build as Anthony Richardson is, right? Like he's got some things working in his favor, but <laughs> it's like, can we bring up the completion percentage if we're talking about what Richardson can do and other quarterbacks can't? You know what I'm saying? Like he's got to get that squared away. How about this too, Jay Cook, is if you look at Past drafts, there have been nine times where quarterbacks have been taken with the first two picks in the NFL draft. And I thought I'd bring this up because right now with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, you know, Anthony Richardson, the top three quarterbacks off the board, it's a drool fest. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're just looking at the upside. We're just like, well, not me, <laughs> but most people are just looking at the upside, right? Like, um, But these are the past drafts, and I just wanted to bring it up here because to many, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud look like phenoms in the making. Think about this. 2021, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, not that great with the Jets, right? Sure. Uh, 2016, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. How do you think that went down, Jimmy? One is still employed and, and, you know, is potentially has a successor waiting in the wings, and, and the other one's looking for work. 
Yes, uh, one had the most underrated 2021 okay. season in the history okay. of the NFL yeah. in Carson Wentz, but uh, you're right. He is looking for work. He's been a disappointment. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. that, Carson Wentz. We can agree on that point. Uh, 2015, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Ooh and ouch, yeah. right? Yes. Right? 2012, Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin III. I mean, RG3 turned out to be a bust. Andrew Luck, pretty darn good, all things considered. Just walked away very early, but you can't say A. Luck was a bust. Can't say right. that. No. Uh, 99, Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb. Timmy Couch, not great in the NFL. Not great. McNabb, yes. 98 was Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great. And dud. Yep. Yes. <laughs> 93 was Drew Bledsoe and Rick Meyer. Shout out Irish. Not great in the pros, though. You know? been the case with many a Notre Dame quarterback post-Montana. Yeah. <laughs> slim pickings right there. And the last one, 71, Jim Plunkett, number one to the Patriots, number two, Archie Manning to the Saints. Yeah. Archie had nothing around him. And Plunkett, he struggled early, but he bounced around, had some success with the Raiders. Um, but just to bring that up, think about how many duds right. are involved in the top two picks, the nine times that quarterbacks have been chosen one, two in the draft, there have been more duds than like legitimate top line quarterbacks. That aspect of it, it's deeper than that, right? You're, you're mentioning that the duds on back to back picks, but you would also agree with me, too, that the larger issue is when there's multiple quarterbacks taken in any one draft. There are anomaly drafts where there's three or four great ones, but more often than mm-hmm. not, yeah, maybe one, maybe two yeah. pan out into long-term starters. So the 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 real point isn't, and this isn't what you're highlighting, the real point isn't, oh, when one, two goes, it's guaranteed it's going to be bad. That body of work shows that, but it's a larger issue of wherever these quarterbacks are taken in the first round, not everyone's going to be winners. Somebody is going to either be looking over with jealous eyes or regret because their guy didn't pan out Maybe they get a serviceable starter, but not an elite-level talent like they wanted. Maybe they think they have the elite-level talent today. Turns out in three years, this guy is a bust. We messed up. We had a bad swing. Jobs are lost, and you know it's not a good time for anybody involved. <laughs> right now, we are, you're right, in this honeymoon phase. That's what it's going to be oh. until training camp and week one officially starts. Every team, not just the Colts, in a honeymoon phase. They feel like they have their quarterback. We finally have the answer. And then when things get real... That's ultimately what we're going to find out if the honeymoon and marriage is a successful one or if it's going to end in an early divorce for both these teams. Man, you're right. It's total honeymoon phase right now. Okay, let's say this. Let's say there are two quarterbacks that pan out and they're difference makers. Okay, they're like legitimate franchise quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Who are your two? Who do you think those two end up to be? Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson. Okay, you're going Young and Richardson. Yeah. Give me the reasoning why real fast. Well, so Young, I'm, I'm trying to stay consistent on this. When we had our Young-Stroud debate, I was always Young first because even with the size and the injury concerns, I think he is the most complete product in the draft, and I feel comfortable with what he's going to be able to do at the next level to say he's going to take it. Also, mm-hmm. we mentioned with comparison to him and Stroud, there's not the five wideout first round complex that you're dealing with, right? You think that there's not a crutch throughout Young's career that Stroud had, and maybe that is too tough to overcome in the long scheme of things. 
Then on Richardson's side, yeah, I'm being a little bit homerish there because I'm banking on the upside, but I do think it's going to work out for him. I think the stuff that he struggles with right now is fixable, it's correctable, and if I'm right and Shane Steichen is right, he already has the gifts and the ability to throw it deep and have game-changing plays and, and create on the fly that would make him in that upper echelon of the NFL. So that's why I go with those two of the four that were taken mm-hmm within the first two rounds. Well, you could go anybody of right. any of the quarterbacks. And your answer would probably be the same, I would imagine. Unless you want to go, you know, Aiden O'Connell. You're a huge Aiden <laughs> O'Connell guy in the fourth round. <laughs> I'll give you some room if you want to switch it up on the fly. Um, of the, If there are two quarterbacks that pan out and prove to be franchise QBs, I'm going to not surprise you with one answer and surprise you with another. Okay? Okay. I'm going Will the Thrill Levis. Okay. I think he's completely undersold and underrated. He was supported by a trash supporting cast in 2022. It's funny, like, love the 21 tape, not 22, as if there are no reasons other than Will Levis as to why that's the case. But anyway, I think Will Levis with a better supporting cast can be a very good NFL quarterback. We'll see if that is true or not. And I would also say, make sure you're sitting down for this, Bryce Young. That's what I thought. Because here's the deal. I don't like the smallish frame. I think he's going to get beaten up quite a bit. But I put it this way. Would you rather have Tua Tungavailoa or Zach Wilson? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, There's a big difference between a productive quarterback that is injury prone, and that hurts. That Season by season, depending on his health status, that could take you out of playoff contention. You know, That could take you out of Super Bowl contention. That hurts. But you at least have a good quarterback while upright behind center. And so I think Bryce Young will be good while healthy. I just don't know how healthy he's going to be, but I think he's going to be better than some of these other guys. They're just going to wash out. (laughs) You're just going to get rid of them anyway. And to clarify, when I made my two picks, I think those are the two that are going to be the most successful. I I still think there could be a path for Levis and Stroud where maybe they're serviceable quarterbacks and and they can – you know, be a part of a team and, and make a living in the NFL as a starting quarterback. I just don't see the pan out in terms of where everybody wants their quarterback to go, which is be in that same breath of the top quarterbacks in the sport. Well, and that, man, we could talk for hours, mm-hmm. Jimmy. You know, I think this too is it depends on what you're comparing it to. If you're just comparing it to the draft class, I think Bryce Young can be good, you know, compared to his draft class. But when it, what it really boils down to is how good is he compared to all the other starting quarterbacks in the NFL? That's ultimately yeah. what it's eventually, not in year one, but eventually that's what it's going to come down to. And that's where it's like, well, that's a different conversation. If any of these guys are going to be among the league-leading quarterbacks, like the upper echelon, top five, top ten guys, I don't know if we have one of those guys in this draft. You know, yeah. Time will tell if that's the case. But among the draft class, just comparing that, if you're saying two pan out, who are they? I would say Will the Thrill and Bryce Young. We'll see. Time will tell. Let's hope for Indianapolis's sake. That is dead wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, coming up. This is not ideal for college football and a change they should absolutely be making immediately. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So how about college football going head-to-head with the NFL? That will be the case next year, Jimmy. This will be in December of 2024 when it expands to 12 teams in the college football playoff. So in the first round, there will be three first-round games played on the same day as regular season NFL games. That is not ideal. That is something that they tried to avoid but can't really avoid. It's hard to do so, make it work perfectly. So going head-to-head, that's when the NFL will start playing Saturday games. They do it in December. And uh, the college football playoff, at least three of their games, will be going head-to-head with uh, NFL games there. Not ideal. In that scenario, though, because I had seen some of that yesterday, and obviously we teased that yesterday, these are still, though, college football games that are being played on on a Saturday in this scenario? There's not like a date change? So basically what I'm asking is, this is really the NFL's fault versus college football. Like there, there, There's nothing they can do. It's not like they're going on a Sunday with these college right. football playoff games, correct? Right, right. That's right. So, yeah, it'll be the, what is it, the third Saturday of December, okay? okay? That will be the first round of the college football playoff. So in the first round, they're going to have one game on Friday, and then they'll have the other three first-round games on Saturday. That's the same weekend the NFL will start playing Saturday games as well. So if you play this thing out... The first round games for college football will be on home campuses. So you're talking about like a raucous atmosphere and the playoffs are underway. I know the NFL is king. And I know if it's Bengals, Ravens, or whatever it is on that Saturday, that they're going to draw some ratings away from the college football playoff games. But it's better than going head to head with like 10 1 p.m. Eastern games or something like that. You're going head-to-head with one NFL game. Again, even that is far from ideal, but there's only so much you can do. The alternative is playing four games on Friday where people are working and not watching anyway. You know, like, what can you do? Yeah, I mean, the other option, and again, I don't agree with any of these, but the other option, you could have moved the season earlier into August with a start and then made it so first-round games are played earlier in December. But yeah, I mean, look... Maybe this is the the old school mentality for me that I don't often express, but like college football, traditionally, it's a Saturday event. That's the day that's reserved for it. That's fine. I don't fault them at all for this. It stinks because nobody wants to go against the NFL because have they not learned? Has nobody learned that the NFL will dominate you any day of the week they put a product on? That being said, it's in the college football's fault. I, I, I don't blame them at all. I wouldn't adjust my schedule for it. I wouldn't move to like a Wednesday for these college football playoff games. NFL is going to do their thing. That's fine. You got to establish yourself in that regard with this f- playoff system and keep at least the basis of college football, which is Saturday action at play. I, I'm fine with college football. I blame the NFL more for this. Well, and that's the thing is they've talked about starting the entire season in week zero, like quote unquote, they have a couple of dog matchups, which I have no idea why they do that. They're like, Hey, college football begins now. Let's send out Arkansas Pine Bluff and UTEP. And you're like, why would you give me this matchup? Why take the over? 
Yeah. <laughs> the NFL, their first game isn't, you know, two complete bottom feeders. They right. have the defending Super Bowl champion going up against a good team. Why is college football? Anyway, sorry, side rant. But they've talked about in college football starting everybody in week zero at the end of, of August to do exactly what you're talking about, Jimmy, is move up the entire schedule. It still is problematic and you're still probably not going to avoid the NFL going head-to-head with their games completely. So there's only so much they can do. I immediately am like, what are they doing? Are they idiots? And then you read through this, and it's like, there's no perfect solution. If there was, they would do it. The other thing is the quarterfinal games, they'll have one game played on New Year's Eve, three games will be played on New Year's Day. So, I mean, depending on what age you are, you think a New Year's Day is that was the day for college football and wall-to-wall right. games. They'll have three uh, playoff games that day. The semifinal games, they'll be on weeknights, Jimmy. They'll be on Thursday and Friday. Hmm. So avoiding the NFL, avoiding Super Wild Card Weekend, you would not want to go head-to-head with no. NFL playoff games. They'll at least do that. Yeah, I mean, and again, every scenario that we've laid out here with what doors college football could have chosen that there's no good answer for them at some point we joke about it all the time and i doubt it will ever really happen because the players union is going to push back eventually if the nfl dominates every day you're not just well we're not going to have sports anymore just going to be football we're going to nba season nah we're going to play it in just january to or i guess you're going to wait till the super bowl's done we're going to go march to june in a compact schedule and that's it no more basketball for us college football same thing we're now going to be a summer league you can't do anything about what the nfl is going to do when they want to make it a seven day a week product literally not just on the pundits on national tv we want games wall to wall every single day you got to do what's best for you and make the best out of a tough situation i think college football has done that with their audibles and adjustments as, as best they could let me just say this too jimmy screw the bowl games okay now let me walk you through this Just in the college football playoff, first round, home stadiums, okay? It should be the same case for the quarterfinals, same case for the semifinals. It should be just like the NFL in college football, where all the playoff games in the NFL are at home stadiums, except for the Super Bowl that's at a neutral site. It should be the same thing in college football. And for any of these traditionalists, you can't make an honest opinion, right, like, Look at me dead in the eyes and say college football is better when these semifinal games are played at a neutral site compared to a a home stadium. Like, think about this, Jimmy. Think about the atmospheres and the home field advantage and what it would do in terms of the importance of the regular season, right? We always talk about that. Expanding the playoff, it does water down the regular season. So instead of just saying, you know what? We locked off, a, locked up our playoff spot. We're just going to rest our guys at the end of the regular season. Or does it really matter if we win the SEC championship or not? Right? That could be a home game or a road game in the playoffs if you win or lose. Right? Like it should always be home games. And for well, the Sugar Bowl's been around a long time. Hey, have those bowl games outside of the playoff. Like. If you're the 13th and 14th teams, I know it waters down the Sugar Bowl or the Rose Bowl, but you can still have it in existence. I want it nowhere near my playoffs, though. Nowhere near. So, two things. One, as a youth, as a high schooler, 
whenever uh-huh. I was having debates like this with friends about, oh, the BCS ever going to go away. Oh, they have this college football playoff. Oh, we need more expansion. And I always thought how it would work out would be, okay, everybody's so upset, the traditionalists about the bowl games and the pedigree mm-hmm. and everything. Okay, that's fine. Keep the bowl games, attach them to the different playoff rounds or playoff games, and, and there you go. You keep everybody happy to some extent, and, and we move the train right along. So I agree with you. Like that, That's a faulty argument to say, well, that's the reason why every game should be a home field advantage-like game. Here is my argument for you that I believe is an honest one, and it has nothing to do with the, we got to have the bowl games. What about the history? I don't, I don't care about mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. in this situation. Unlike the NFL, with college football, with how these rankings are going to happen, and we already know what's going to happen to begin with, the committees, they have a history of doing it. I don't blame them. I get it. It's tougher competition. More than more often than not, the higher seeds, the guaranteed home spots, are going to go to your Power 5 conference, True Blue Bloods, the Alabamas, Ooh. the Ohio States, the Georgias. I don't like that aspect of it of being oh. a, a TCU or a, a USC. Or they're, they're a bad example because they're they looked better last year. But you know what I mean? A Kansas State who was 13th last year, like being a smaller school like that in terms of the pedigree of the sport. And okay, quarterfinals now. You go to college basketball, you're playing in a neutral mm-hmm. site. College football, oh, I got to go to Tuscaloosa for yeah. this game. I, I like what you're saying, Jimmy. You bring up a good point, but. Spare me your tears, small guys. You know what I mean? Like, schedule up. Schedule up. Beat the big boys. You might have a but harder you know, time you doing that. you know as well as I do, though, that throughout time, those bigger schools, it's not always like, yeah, we'll play you. No problem. Hey, man. Come upsets right happen. Up. Upsets happen. But not there if been the game's plenty. not scheduled. If the game doesn't no. get scheduled during the regular season. It- no, I'm saying there are upsets where the road team, no. you know, like they yes. upset the home yes. team. Yes. So I, I don't want to make it sound like, Hey, if we've got to go on the road at Alabama, we have no chance. No, you have a good chance. It okay? sounded like it's, you were saying that, well, if you're upset about the ranking system, beef up your schedule so you get a better rank. And I well, was saying that's part that, of it. That's that part of it. Yeah. If the bigger schools don't meet you halfway in accepting yeah. the invite, what are you supposed to do? Well, hey, I get that. But, you know, again, spare me your tears. Like, get it done <laughs> on the field. I know. I know it's it's working against you where, hey, if you've got. If you've tried to schedule the big boys and they dodge you, okay, that's one thing. But I don't buy these arguments that no one will schedule you in a Power 5 conference, really. If you're sitting there and it's, again, it's like, oh, we played McNeese State and we played Eastern Washington. I'm like, get the hell out of here. And you play in a hack conference on top of that? You can't have a bad non-conference schedule if you play in a terrible conference. There's a fine line with it, yes. But then you look at schools like Alabama who is playing, you know, whoever state week two uh-huh. and it's like oh okay yeah, that would have been great if you could okay. have had i don't know uh, utah there in that matchup instead of arkansas pine bluff okay think about this would you sign up for the opposite in the nfl meaning let's say instead of college football adopting the nfl's model for the postseason all home games except for the championship game what if the nfl adopted college football's model where it's just the first round or home games, everything else is at a neutral site. You think that would be good for the NFL? 
You think that'd be fun? You think that'd be better? Yeah, it's a lot harder to go on the road and win in Buffalo in January than it would be at a neutral site, you know? But it's more exciting that way. It makes the regular season more meaningful. It would be better for college football to do the same thing, but just because bowl games have been around for a long time, we get used to it and think that's better. It sucks. It's way worse than having home games every step of the way except for the championship. That would be so much better. Oh, I would love it. And I'll meet you halfway. Have the championship game, rotate it. One year it's the Rose Bowl, one year it's the Orange, Sugar, Fiesta, whatever the top four bowl games you want. They're still around. That's the championship game. The next year, well, it's it's cycled down a little bit. It's 13 versus 14, okay? But they're still around. So we keep the bowl games in existence. We got home field advantage throughout the playoffs except for the championship. Regular season season means more. It's a win-win across the board, Jay Cook. But the reason we can't flip the NFL in that way was my first point in all this. And, and it's never going to be done in college football because the amount of schools and participants are too great. There is no committee around what happens in the NFL because it's a balanced schedule around right. a certain set of teams. Yeah. And you feel like you earned hey. your home field advantage. In college I- football, if TCU and Clemson both go undefeated. I got Who you. do you think's getting the home field I, advantage? I, I, hey, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear, Jimmy, and it's a good point. But you know what? Controversy sells. It does. Controversy yeah. sells. It'd be good for college football, even if there is this knockdown drag out beef about which team is seated higher than the other team. And look at this regular schedule, regular season schedule. Even that's good. And so again, you're winning across the board. Make every playoff game in college football when the starts next year in 24. All home games for the higher seed except for the championship game, just like the NFL does. We got to give away some tickets. Here. We do. Um, I like to say it's a ticket earn away. You know, we got tougher questions over. We're just giving stuff away to caller five. You know what I mean? You got to earn this. Mm-hmm. The guy yesterday earned it. He did. <laughs> what species is Jar Jar Binks? Pulled it out of his hat with Gungan. I was impressed. I tipped I'm the cap. Very impressed. Holy Shout hell. Shout out Big Glenn. Good work. Uh, where do they call in there, Jimmy? 317, that's all I know. 239-1070. 317-239-1070. Pair <laughs> of tickets to next weekend's GMR Grand Prix at IMS on the line. And I've got computer news. Ooh. I you're going to stick around for that. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. We're not messing around. We got stuff to give away slash earn away here. Jay Cook, where do we stand on this, buddy? We got, like we mentioned, two tickets, GMR Grand Prix to give away. Next weekend is the race. If you want to have an opportunity to earn that pair of tickets, 317-239-1070 is the number to call. That's 317-239-1070. Are you ready to dive right in? Yeah, sure. I'm just curious about my mind works. How do you dress for these things? I'm thinking the derbies this weekend. You wear the big hats. Is there anything you do for GMR here? I don't think there's an iconic staple in terms of dressing. Negative. Tire. No, I think we got to work knowledge. on. We got to work on that right there. Got to work on. Probably it. some cutoff t-shirts, uh, uh, some hats. Everybody wears jorts. 
Everybody. Maybe, yeah, probably some jorts, <laughs> maybe some overalls. Definitely a red-handed cooler. Um, you probably got some red Solo cups mixed in there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Definitely not alcoholic beverages. Definitely no, not. No, yeah, you're not no, going to find no. that. A lot of water. No. Def- yeah, lots of water. Got to hydrate. <laughs> Got to hydrate for sure. Okay, is this uh, Will Levis themed? You know, it, it's it's the closest we've come oh. to Will Levis themed because in a weird twist, and we'll get why in a second, it's Kentucky related. It is Kentucky. Okay. It is. It is. It's Derby related it, or just the state of Kentucky. It, it, it is. It is Derby related. I would never okay. insult the audience like that going full scale Kentucky related, but we will tip the cap to the Derby in that regard. <laughs> yeah. No Will Levis. No. no. So that's the closest <laughs> we got with the Will Levis trivia. Let's go to Dave on line one. Dave, how are you? Great. Dave, how do you feel about your, your horse racing knowledge as a whole? Uh, not real strong. Okay. Well, I, I think you can get this one. Today marks the 50th anniversary of an iconic horse's signature win in the Kentucky Derby. Can you give me the horse's name? Secretariat. Give it to him, Dave. Let's go. Let's go, Dave. Winning two tickets to the GMR Grand Prix. How about that? Congrats on the win. That's great. But are you are you serious here? I I went out there and I gave false information you based did. on your you question. Did. You did. I said you we're not just audience. giving stuff away with caller five. You got to earn these tickets, and then you give a secretariat. I look now. Look, I told him it would probably be a, a solid trivia question, but the way he phrased it up, I guarantee you gave it away. And a legendary horse. It did. I said if iconic. He, I, I said iconic, iconic or whatever. I said iconic. Yeah, but the phrasing matters, Jimmy. If you would have said, "Hey, what horse won the Kentucky Derby fifty years ago?" Right, that's true. Hey, it's all about the phrasing. The phrasing was key. I, I had a soft spot in my heart for Dave there. I won't lie. He said he had no idea about horse racing trivia. Didn't want to put him on an island. Uh-huh. The, we had we had other callers on the line, Jimbo. Yeah, what about we them, did. Jimmy? Huh? What about them? I like the beginning. Was like, hey, Dave, how's it going today? Hey. <laughs> I, like I, th- I think Dave's entire mentality probably went downhill when he was on hold and he heard it was going to be horse racing. And probably, then, yeah, I, he's probably like, "Should I just bail right now?" That I appreciate the it. honesty. I will say though, to your answer about what about the callers that, that didn't get an opportunity? Uh-huh. Don't worry, got Carb Day and Qualls tickets next week, so there there's still plenty of prizes, and we'll amp our trivia level to more like Gungan-like questions okay. for Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Here's, here was the question before Eddie brought up Secretariat. Had it uh-huh. not been 50 years to the day, wouldn't have done it. The question would have been, everybody talks about the Derby. Which race takes place Friday of the Derby? What's the iconic race there? Can either of you fill oh, that out? man, I'm not sure. You know what, Eddie? I might know it if I heard it. Not going to lie, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> the race on Friday is another iconic race that happens. Uh, uh, it's just I know for it's the Phillies. Day, but... Uh... That you are correct. It's the Kentucky Oaks. So that's that's the race go. on Friday. That was gonna yet. be the fastball. But, but Eddie you, threw out the Secretariat. I, I love I love the history aspect of it. Had to have to give the nod. He's also on the uh, if you're if you're a bourbon drinker, he is on the official bottle this year of Woodford Reserve. It's an ode to Secretariat and his fiftieth anniversary of winning the Kentucky Derby. There you go. So, Very nice. There you go. And uh Secretariat, uh good for what, over six hundred offspring? Is that something, the number? Something, something absolutely insane. Yes. Yeah. Very high. Yep. Busy horse. Yes. You know, trying to uh, <laughs> recapture the glory. That... <laughs> All right, we got Joe Wrights coming up. Colts radio analyst. Let's talk some ball. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook.
It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. We're joined by Joe Wrights, former offensive lineman with the Colts and the Ravens. Colts radio analyst now. I got to know your musical taste here, Joe Wrights. We'll get into the Colts in football in a second. But musically, how do you get down? What's your go-to genre? Man, I, I like the classic rock. I would say uh, it's that, especially when I'm working out. Obviously, with the nice weather now here in Indiana, it's tough to beat country music. Uh, I love country. And then, you know, we got six young children at home, so it seems that uh, – any sort of Disney tune or ballad or, you know, soundtrack to Paw Patrol or anything, that's always running through my head because those things are awful sticky and uh, hard to get out. Oh, that's funny, man. Now, if you're, like, it's heavy leg day, right? Like, who are the classic rock bands that you're just you're just cranking up in the earbuds or however, however you get down for the workout? Uh, I usually put it on uh, Apple Music we have. I usually put on Eye of the Tiger, that song, and then Create the Station, and it just goes from there. And, and they always got good. I love the 80s and you know getting into the 70s a little bit on the classic rock. But that's usually uh, my go-to. That's back when I played with the Colts. You know, we'd always have to fight for the music in the weight room, and generally it was you know seniority. So my last year or two, I finally got to get a little bit of classic rock pumping in there. How did that go down with the rest of the team? Pretty good. There'd be some nice spirited discussions. And then what would always happen is Adam Vinatieri would walk in at 42 or 43 or whatever he was, Hall of Famer, and he'd say, all right, boys, I'm picking the radio. And, and that was it. <laughs> it just went from there. Right, last one, I'm just curious, what did Vinatieri go with? What was his go-to? He liked classic rock. He was with me. We would, uh, you know, it'd often be that, you know, versus rap and, you know, hip-hop and battle and back and forth. Um Hard to get country on because everybody thought it was too slow and, you know, not pump you up enough. But, no, that brings back uh, good memories because especially this time of the year, right, that's what the Colts are doing now. You're, you're not necessarily practicing the OTAs yet, so it's a lot of time in the weight room, a lot of time in the classroom and film study. But that, that weightlifting piece, those were, those were fun times in the spring, you know, as, as everybody starts building towards, you know, what this 2023 season is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Wright's joining us here, Colts radio analyst. How about this, Joe? If you are an offensive lineman with the Colts right now, is your mentality a little bit different in, say, year three as a young guy compared to, like, year 11 as a vet trying to chase a championship when you're starting anew with Anthony Richardson? Would your mentality change at all? No doubt. I think it's twofold. One, every year that you play and get a little bit older – you understand how hard it is to, one, make the playoffs, make a run, and get to the Super Bowl. I was blessed my first year in Baltimore. We went to the AFC Championship game. Second year, we're in the playoffs. You know, Then I come to Indianapolis, we're in the playoffs, and you realize that it's not that easy. And so every year you get older, wow, how many more years do I have left? I want to make a run at this thing. So I think that's part of some veterans' mindset. The other part is, you're excited because hopefully you've got a guy that you can build on for the next decade. And the Colts have had such a revolving QB carousel. 
since Andrew Luck retired that I think it's nice to know, hey, this guy's a pillar. He's going to be our foundation. Then the third thing for an offensive lineman, I'm jacked up we drafted Richardson. You know why? Because that guy can move, and that guy's got speed, and how our defense is going to defend us. And so as an offensive lineman, you're going to be running the ball a lot more. You're going to be running a lot more different type of concepts. It's not going to be necessarily the five- and seven-step drop, drop-back passing that we've seen, you know, the last three years with Ryan and Went and Rivers. And as an offensive lineman, it's a lot better when you can run or you can run that hard play action and you get to be the aggressor versus, you know, backing up three, four yards and trying to stop some defensive end from getting to your quarterback. So that's what excites me most as a former offensive lineman. Joe, you mentioned that there's going to be – likely a lot of uh, smiles and enjoyment along the offensive line with the way that the offense can go and will be able to go next year. But as you know, a large portion of that is going to rely on the O-line getting back to where they were just two years ago, maybe not even to that height, but an improvement off of last season. When you reflect off of where they struggled as a unit last year to the changes or the adjustments that are going to have to be made this season, how hard is that going to be, and what specifically do you want to see improved upon from the O-line? Well, I think two things, continuity and confidence. This is clearly a line that's played really good football, and a couple years ago, you know, everybody was talking about, you know, are they the best offensive line in football? Um, so regain your confidence, and that comes from playing well and winning and doing it as a unit, but also continuity. Last year, they went in it with a left guard or left tackle and a right guard that weren't the same guys at the end of the year. And that's a big deal. But now you're starting this year and you hope that Fries and Ryman are the answers. And so now you combine the five guys and you're going into the day one of offseason workouts that started a couple weeks ago and saying, this is our unit and we're going to build this unit together. And then I think the really the um, the elephant in the room is we haven't had a mobile quarterback really for the last three years. Wentz a little bit, but with Ryan and Rivers. And now you're coming into maybe kind of this new NFL with all the speed on defense and have a quarterback that can move out of the pocket. And that just takes so much stress off your offensive line. You know, last year, I think our struggles were a combination of a couple of things. One, you know, we missed Jack Doyle in the run game and all that he did. And we struggled, you know, holding up blocking at the tight end position. Two, you know, we had a quarterback that didn't move well in the pocket. Three, we got down in so many games. And when you're down by 14 points and you have a quarterback that's more stationary – I don't care how good you are as an offensive lineman. If the D-line knows that you're throwing the ball, they're in a track stance, they're pinning their ears back, and they're just going. And this year, our offense is going to be fundamentally different under Shane and the concepts he's bringing from Philly and the dynamic playmaking ability we're going to have um, from our quarterback, you know, being able to run the ball with his legs. Uh, Joe Wright's joining us here, Colts radio analyst here on The Fan. I've always said this, Joe. I don't know if you agree or not, but when it comes to a rookie quarterback, my my baseline is, is he ready enough where if we throw him out there, he's not at great risk to start forming some bad habits? Um, and, and if that's the way you view it as well, I'm curious from a player's standpoint, if you have a rookie quarterback, how long does it take you as a player to get a pretty good sense of he's ready enough where we can get him out there? Yeah, he's going to take his lumps, but he's not at great risk to start forming some bad habits. Yeah, that's a tough one because I think the NFL, there's really four speeds to the game. You have your off-season speed right now, then it ramps up in training camp, then it ramps up in preseason, then it ramps up in the regular season. So I think the biggest test for Richardson will really be preseason games and when the lights are shining bright, what does he do? But again, 
preseason isn't the regular season. And so I, you're not really going to know until you're in that regular season format. And I think the guys have to be able to play. You have to play to gain experience and get reps. But it's kind of that dual, dual-edged dual sword. Do we put him out there week one? Or, you know, is Minshew the guy to start the season and you work Richardson in and have different packages and all of a sudden maybe he takes over the starter later in the year? I think that's what remains to be seen with this Colts team. But the bottom line, to play, to, to get better, you have to get those game reps. There's nothing like it. And Richardson will need that to develop. But I think what's nice is you can start building your offense right now around Richardson and what he does best. But you got a guy in Minshew who's run that system in Philly, who's a proven quarterback and go out and win games. So you have a nice safety blanket, too, if the coaching staff decides, hey, we might not start Richardson week one right out of the gate, but we'll work him in as the season goes on. And maybe, you know, he takes over as your starter later in the year. Joe, I, I want to be optimistic about the Colts wide receiver room and give a benefit of the doubt there that. You know, I wanted and was preaching for a leap from Michael Pittman Jr. last year, but maybe the reason we didn't fully get it was because Matt Ryan was a shell of himself, and 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 by the end of it, they were having you know basically me or Brian try to throw to him. So hopefully that gets that gets remolded and fixed with you know more competent quarterback play. Let's say it's not Richardson and it's Minshew out there first. It, how does he either open things up or what new perspective does he bring to this offense where there's still room for growth for Michael Pittman Jr., for Alec Pierce, for new rookie Josh Downs, if it is Minshew under center week one? I, I think the biggest thing you'll see uh, and fans will see is with Philly's offense, you watched them last year, they had single coverage all the time in their receivers because teams had to be committed to having an extra guy to take into account, quote, the 12th man of the offense, and that's the QB running the ball. And so for Richardson and Pierce, you know, those are bigger body guys. You know, Pierce is a little bit more of a a home run over the top. But I'll tell you, I'm really excited about Downs. I thought that Downs in the draft, you know, outside of Richardson, which everybody's talking about, was our best value pick because I think he really was a uh, second-round talent that we got in the third round. And I think he has elite speed and twitch in the slot, and that's what we really need, some speed guys that are going to get one-on-one matchups that can win those matchups and all of a sudden, you know, take a pass that's 12 yards over the middle and turn it into a really big play. So I'm excited to see what Downs can do and, you know, can he work himself into the, the week one starting lineup. That gives us a different dynamic, I think, of just pure speed and twitch that we don't have in the wide receiver room now, and I'm guessing that, uh, you know, my old teammate Reggie Wayne is awful excited about that pick we got because I think that was a really a steal being able to snag him in the third round. What would you need to see from Anthony Richardson this year, Joe, to feel very strongly that he's a legitimate franchise quarterback going forward? Man, that, that's so hard because I think you can't judge him on his first performance or the preseason or week one. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, legally he can't buy a beer yet. He's not yet 21, <laughs> and I think – I thought it was really good on what Chris Ballard said after the draft. We're drafting him on what we think he can be. And I do think of all the quarterbacks, he had the highest ceiling of the draft. And the Colts are betting that they can coach him up and help him reach that full potential. And if he does, he's for sure going to be the best quarterback taken in this draft. And so I view this as generally in the NFL, when you're taking a first-round pick, you want to know that that guy can come in, you know, no questions asked and start day one, right? This is what we think this guy can be. But to me, this has a combo of a NFL slash NBA pick. And, you know, the NBA is all about potential. And what can this guy be in one, two, three years down the road? 
And I do think there's an element of that to Richardson because he still is so raw and he still, in my opinion, has so much upside to reach that full potential. So I would say it's going to be hard, you know, even after the end of this year to say, oh, well, this is our guy, this isn't our guy. We're going to have to give it a little bit of time Mm -hmm. and to hope that he develops into the quarterback for the next, you know, 10, 12 years. And, And I don't think we're going to know that just right out of the gate. Joe, taking us behind the curtain a little bit, and I know you might not have every example off the top, but you've talked to enough people that would have experienced this. What is it like in the huddle as a young quarterback starts to earn the respect of the offensive line of the veteran players that are on the roster? Yeah, you definitely have to earn it. You you give a little bit, but you have to earn it. And, you know, my experience with a young quarterback, I had too, Joe Flacco in Baltimore, and then, you know, Andrew Luck here in Indianapolis. And, Flacco, it it took a little bit of time. You know, he definitely had that command and presence, but he wasn't lighting the world on fire his rookie year, even though we made the playoffs. Where Andrew was a little bit different, you know, he stepped in day one, our first off-season workout, and he was changing protections and making different calls and making up new calls, and everybody's looking around like, okay, you know, we got this guy. And so I think Richardson's going to be a little bit more that he's going to earn that respect over time with as he continues to develop. That's your job as an offensive lineman, right, to support the young quarterback and say, hey, what can we do? We have to be at our very best so we give this guy a chance to be successful and not just the O-line but the receivers, backs, tight ends, the other ten guys – when you're playing with a young quarterback, it's really important that they're at their very best because you have to give a guy a good chance to grow and you got to let him be successful. And that happens by those other 10 guys doing their job and doing it very well. Hey, Joe, before you go, and we appreciate your time, I'd like to do a little take your pick classic rock style, okay? So wow. I'll give you two songs and you break the tie for me in terms of your personal love, preference. Love yeah. that. All right, here we go. Okay, here we go. First one. Hotel California or Freebird? I'm going to go with the Eagles. I like the Eagles, so I'm going Hotel California. Okay, all right. You like the the guitar work on that song, I take it. Um, Okay, Smoke on the Water or Layla? I'm going to go Smoke on the Water, but I'll I'll be honest. I don't really. Layla, that's not ringing a bell with me. Who sings Layla? That's our guy Eric Clapton. Okay, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm Layla. Not a I can't guy. hit the high notes right now. A little under the wet. Got me on my knees. Layla. That's all I can do for you right now, Joe. Joe, did that help yeah, you're you? Getting it. You're getting it. That's, that's good effort <laughs> right there. I like it, yeah. <laughs> Max effort from singing. I like it. Thank you. Last one. We'll go with two classics here. Stairway to Heaven or Sweet Home Alabama? Whoa, it's funny. I was talking to my parents the other day, and they were talking about Stairway to Heaven was like their prom song, right? And they were we were got a big discussion about that. But Sweet Home Alabama's classic. I mean, Skinner is so good, and I do love that song, especially kind of the country vibes and feel that that one goes with, too. There you go. Good stuff, Joe. Well, hey, man, good hanging with you. Hope you have a good weekend. We'll catch you down the road. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And I think, you know, for all the fans, I just think for me uh, – the, the biggest excitement for me is it's kind of a new era of Colts football, right? It's Richardson, and we're betting on the future of the NFL and a different type of offense than we've seen the last quarter century here in Indianapolis. And I just think that that unknowns, that potential, that hope that's out there, it's, uh, it's really exciting. So for me, I'm super pumped. Schedule's coming out next week. And then you start to think, okay, these games are coming into Lucas Oil. I want to get tickets for this, or this will be a fun road trip. So it's definitely going to be a fun here offseason as we wait and watch the quarterback develop and the rest of this team develop with the new coach, uh, Steichen, and, and what we're going to be here in the future for the Colts.
Amen to that, man. It's a holiday. It's a pr- practically a national it, holiday when the schedule's yes. released now, you know? yeah. <laughs> the, the NFL does it better than anybody else. There's always something important and huge coming down the pipe. I mean, it's shocking. I mean, to think that 300,000 people were there to celebrate and party for a draft or literally watch guys walk across the stage when they're not going to play a game for six months. I mean, that's that's the NFL, and it really is beautiful in terms of how they've made this a year-round deal and, and really made this America's sport. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. Well, hey, man, you have a good one. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Joe. All right. Sounds good. See you. There he is, Joe Wrights, former Colts and Ravens offensive lineman, Colts radio analyst. Good stuff right there. Layla not ringing a bell. Wow. I'm also shocked. I honestly, truly am shocked the Van Halen conversation didn't come up there. Oh, man. I didn't even th- Isn't that funny? I didn't even think of it, Eddie. I didn't even think. We've asked criminal. so many people. It is criminal. Criminal. It really is. I that's, forgive you. That's, uh, that's my bad on that one right there. But, uh, yeah. I looked at Jimmy, and I thought, oh, here we go. I surely thought that was going to be, like, the very first question. I was like, Whoa. And they kept going. I'm like, no way. It's it's the meds. It's he's trying to recover. It's time on his game. My mind is a strange place. You know, sometimes you're like, how did you connect those two things? And then you're like, how did you not make that connection? You know, so I I keep you guessing. That's the way my mind goes. You know, I'm thinking about this as the schedule is going to be released. I think I don't know if it's a firm date, Eddie and Jimmy is uh, May 11th. That's what I've heard rumored. I don't know if Thursday's on their official. Yeah, that's yeah. Next Thursday. Yep. You're right. Next Thursday? Yep. Okay, so it is. It is May 11th. Yep. Well, good. Good. Here's what I'm thinking. What would you like to see as a Colts fan in terms of the scheduling? What I would like to see is a couple of the tougher games immediately. Because I don't think Richardson is starting week one. So if you get a couple of the really tough games early, I mean, that I don't want Richardson to have his baptism facing a really tough team or a really tough defense. And then I would also like to see the division games, more of them be later in the season. This is not a tough division, right? You with me on that, Jacob? Yeah, I'm not... I don't think the Colts are winning the South next year. I feel feel relatively confident in that. But if you want to entertain the idea that they could, year after year, the... the, And it wasn't a two-horse race because Jacksonville won last year. But going in, Indianapolis, Tennessee, who's winning the division? And... Their series, season series, if you will, is done by Halloween. No, I need more space amongst these division games. And you could say especially so for the Colts, given the fact that if it is Richardson starting right away, you would think, barring lightning in a bottle, lights the world on fire, it's going to take time to develop and grow. I'd rather see him in those division games in the back half of his first season. I thought that was so interesting what Joe said about there being four speeds to the game in mm-hmm. his opinion, where it's a different speed in training camp compared to preseason or preseason to the regular season, on and on. And so it's it's kind of interesting. You're going to get a lot of these reports, especially with these rookie quarterbacks. You'll get, well, uh, Anthony Richardson was 8 of 11 for 117 yards and a touchdown. You know what I mean? In training camp, <laughs> you're going to get that with all the rookies. And fan bases are going to eat that up and be like, all right, this is what I was talking about here. But to Joe's point... It's a good way to kind of check yourself. And I'm not saying don't have a party and don't be hopeful, but I'm saying you, you might want to not just drop kick reasoning, you know, through the goalposts too early, where yeah. there's a different speed. If Richardson looks good in the preseason, that's great. That's reason for hope, but it's a far cry from looking good in the regular season. I just thought that was interesting what Joe brought up. 
you need to have a level-headedness about you at each one of these levels that Joe was referring to, right? Like, you want to see positive each time. It's like our joke about pro days. You you, you don't want to hear bad reports from pro days. You don't want to hear after Joe. He's actually one of nine and threw five in the dirt right. on, 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 on a, on a five-yard route to the sidelines. You, that's not what you want to hear. You want to hear good things, but you take each one – with a grain of salt and it gets a little bit bigger as you get further along on the levels to the point that week one as a starter, then you can start to make true evaluations. The idea of all hope and, and kicking logic aside, like you mentioned, isn't just right now during this honeymoon phase. It is once we get to training camp, once we get to preseason and once he eventually goes under center, but focusing on the player, Brian, you kind of mentioned this earlier, I want to know that, and you'll get these reports regardless, but I want to genuinely know the time is being put in, that even as a rookie, you're hungry to get better. I'm not even talking about the cliches of a first one in, last one out type of thing. That's great, but I want to know that you are doing things each day to try to speed along your process. They'll say that, but I want to know it's happening and then be able to see it as the games go by over the course of a regular season. Joe also mentioned he's high on third-round receiver Josh Downs, you know, from UNC. And uh, I thought it was interesting. I'll try to get the audio for everybody before the show ends. But there's a video when he got the call, and he's having a a short conversation with Chris Ballard and then also Shane Steichen. It's really cool. He's very emotional. He's around family. He's crying. Like, he's worked very hard to get to this moment. It's really cool. The funny thing about the video, he gets the initial call – I don't know if it's Josh's father. It might be. But Josh gets the call, and he's just aggressively saying, Hallelujah! Praise God! <laughs> it, it's just hilarious. I love how intense he was about showing appreciation, but a uh, very cool moment. I'll try to get you that audio. We also had this, our guy James Boyd of The Athletics. So they put this together for all of the teams. Who do you expect to be the most impactful rookie? And James Boyd chose cornerback Julius Brents. He's an Indianapolis native from Kansas State, went to school there. And he just mentioned, uh, James Boyd did, that the Colts lost to Fon Gilmore to the Cowboys, Brandon Faison to the Raiders. And you've got Kenny Moore as the the vet. And you might see Julius Brents be a day one starter for the Colts. So I find that to be pretty interesting. We're going to have all this focus on Anthony Richardson. And I get it. I do understand that. But you do have... Many more draft picks, and some of those guys might make a bigger difference come year one. Very well could work out that way. Yeah, Julius Brents, I, I think, will absolutely have an opportunity, if not you know, outright earn a starting job as one of the starting corners on this team. And that was an area of need that we knew going in because for Kenny Moore and for Isaiah Rogers, it's contract years for them, right? By the end of this season, the Colts are going to have decisions to make, and that's already with Stephon Gilmore being shown the door via the trade. So... They had to address that need. Ballard's going to be judged largely by how Richardson does, but ultimately you're just as in danger as a GM if you miss on the other high-level picks like a second-round selection of Juju Brents. You know something I hate, Jimmy? I hate this. You see some of these sites, they'll have third-round pick and then in parentheses 16, meaning like Josh Downs is the 16th pick of the third round. Yep. What good does that do me? I need to know the overall selection that he was. Don't make me do math and add. Oh, wait, there were 31 picks in the first round. There were how many in the second round? Oh, gosh, plus 16. What are we doing over here? 
Huh? Do I have the, the overall selection in parentheses? I hate the other way when it's just the overall selection. Then I have to figure out, okay, well, what, what round was that in? I can take an educated <laughs> guess, but, but where right. did it really happen? That's right, yeah. Give me the round and then give me the selection. Is that too much to ask? I don't think so. I don't either. All right, coming up next, Ken Rudolph. He's from FanDuel TV. We're talking ponies over here. Yes. Okay. I know you're all geeked about this. Woo! I'll get into the festive spirit. We've got the derby right around the corner. So let's talk some horse racing. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I mean, the bugle, does that not just fire you up right there? You're at the horse racing track, maybe you're at the derby, and you hear those sounds there, Jay Cook. Come on, that's got to be high on the list, is it not? It's it, It's majestic. There, there's a, there's a mid julep or, or, or an oaks lily all around in terms of uh, beverages. You hopefully already have your wagers placed. You're ready to go. It's it's, it's a magical time. Have you? I imagine you have. You had a mint julep. I have. I have What's, had a mint julep. I have been to the Derby once. Uh-huh. Um, great time. What's your assessment? Overrated? No. Underrated? No. I would say properly. Properly. properly rated for what it is. It, it's a, it's an iconic drink of the event. Um, Eddie, Eddie jokes with me, and I, I own this. I wear this chip for what it is. I I enjoy fruity drinks. So the Oaks Lily, which is the other iconic drink, like I, I will enjoy just as much some mint julep for a lot of people. And you know the the, the real men listening to this, you just want the, the the mint julep. Put a little hair on your back with Woodford Reserve, and that's fine. It's delicious. But you know I I I, I enjoy both of those drinks that are signature and iconic along the greatest two minutes in sports. Now, how crazy do you get into your homework for this thing here? Are you all in? Yes, but, but I'm also much like my college days, Brian. I'm, I'm a crammer. I like, mm-hmm. I, li- I, li- I like to, to wait until everything has really been established. And it's a good thing I did to some extent because we still have, now it's not just like injuries and concerns at Churchill, but it's, High temperatures, two horses scratched today because of that. So there's so much in the lead up. I'm not saying like just Derby Day is when I do it all, but usually around this time, I've already placed some bets. Uh, you know, last night, just kind of getting a feel for for where I want to go with tomorrow, and then now today and into tonight, and hopefully after we have this conversation with Ken Rudolph, you really get a clear picture painted for what you want to wager on. Because yes, like the favorite is very very enticing to just. In any sport, right? Throw a lot of money on there and hope it pans out. But usually, particularly on Derby Day, even with, I think it's a field of 19 now with all the scratches, not going to have a ton of return on your investment value there if you just go straight out to win with the favorite. Gotcha. Yeah. Ken is probably cramming right now. Our guy, Ken Rudolph. Well, they got those live shows going on. Remember, we talked about it with uh, the other trivia question I didn't use. It's Oaks Day at Churchill Downs, which for those that don't know, again, that's the, the main event of the Friday races and a lot of people are surprised by that too it's not just the derby like this is a whole day of, of races and stakes races and it's a it's a whole weekend affair at churchill downs but uh fandle tv doing live shows out there and 
for the Oaks, it's the Phillies, the female horses, their, their day, that race. Uh, Phillies can also race, obviously, in the Derby itself. But you have Oaks Friday and Derby Saturday. So I'm not, I'm not at all surprised by this. In fact, I, I prepared for it to some extent that <laughs> Cannon Company, yeah, it's a very, very busy day. We talk about <laughs> mock drafts last week and and Mel Kuyper and Dane Brugler being busy. This is the busiest time of the year for anybody that's in the horse racing section of the sports world. You think that, uh, you know, Ken's calling insiders and his phone is blowing up the same way <laughs> like Schefter's is for the draft? I bet I, I bet there is some truth to that in terms of scratches or, or, or reports about, hey, the workout wasn't that good or oh, we saw something a little bit jumpy, um, you know, in the paddock today. We don't really like what's going Yeah, I guarantee you there's conversations like that, but uh, of the magnitude of, hey, listen, you know, you don't really have that horse racing, right? So, hey, listen, uh, Todd Pletcher is trying to make mm-hmm. a trade on dirt. You know, that doesn't happen, right? It's a whole different sport. But yes, there's definitely insider information. We talk about what Vegas knows. If you're a, a good handicapper that's in the know of horse racing, yeah, you definitely have a guy. There's absolutely a guy that's out there for these people. We got to get Bob Baffert back in this we thing. Do. We do. Got to do it. Yep. I know he's a, a cheating weasel. I get it, but he's entertaining. He's an entertaining cheating weasel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the sport is better off with him there than not there. It's a big piece of it missing without him being there. And it's like, He's not Mr. Electric, you know, but in comparison, he seems to be. And yes. you just miss him. He is, he's a known entity. You know him from his hair and his little small sunglasses. You know what I mean? He's got some personality. <laughs> I miss that guy not being around. I'm right there with you. And, and he will forever be known and surrounded with the sport because of the Triple Crown drought that he broke with American Pharaoh and then doing it again would justify. There was a long time where people thought that the, the obviously it's not just the Derby, it's the Preakness and the Belmont. It would never be done again with the way modern racing is. And he is the author in terms of training and, and getting those horses ready for both of those events. So I, I get it. I understand that, that punishment had to be landed down, but it's a doesn't quite lose all the luster, but there, there's definitely a step back here without Baffert center stage. I think what hurts it even more is that he's just lying through his teeth about <laughs> the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, if he just came out and said, look, I admit it. I cheated. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done it. There's a much better chance that he's back. But with him, they, oh, no. No, I would never. I would never even think of doing something like that. I just wish more people would admit it. You know what I mean? Like whether you're a, a horse trainer and you're, you're juicing up these horses or whatever it happens to be, I would just have much more respect if you said, you know what? I was an idiot. It's the same thing with PEDs when it comes to athletes. How many athletes have been like, not me? Ryan Braun, then with the Milwaukee Brewers, swore on his life that he did not have any of these substances in his body. And that was a lie. That was. I yeah. just wish some would say, you know what? It was stupid. Was looking for an unfair advantage. I apologize. I'm not going to insult your intelligence and say I didn't do this. Nathan Shepard, shout out to this guy. He was drafted by the New York Jets. He's a defensive tackle. He's now with the Saints. He's one of the very few guys who got popped for PEDs and just flat out admitted it. He's like, yeah, it was stupid. I was banged up. I was injured. I was trying to get healthier quicker. Sorry about that. <laughs> like Paraphrasing, that's the gist of it. I just respect you a lot more if you say that. I agree with you on all points except for the suspension changing. It's a sport that is, mm-hmm. in some ways, you know, 
one of the last great like old pioneering sports in that regard and and you know from just the safety of the of the thoroughbred horses of the animals and all the just in general response that needs to happen when you have you know horses passing out or horses having to be euthanized when you add in an extra element of increasing that risk when you're using hgh for horses when you're using anything that could enhance them to a point that it puts their health in jeopardy i'm not saying baffert took the right path i'm with you i wish they just say out and yeah hey we did it it was wrong i still think it's a two-year suspension from churchill downs you cannot afford to have that type of it's the same thing with gambling in the nfl at least the first time with calvin ridley it's just something you cannot have around the sport hey i hear you and uh, it'd be the same thing if Calvin Ridley came out and just said, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. He's probably suspended for that entire season. Right. But if if he had came, there's too many ifs here. It's going to get too confusing. If he came out initially and said, I never did this. This is wrong. Not true. I mean, he stands a better chance if he does the opposite. Same thing with Baffert. I'm not saying that he's back there and reinstated, but there's a better chance if he wasn't lying through his teeth that he'd be back there. Sure. Uh, for the Derby. All right, we got Ken Rudolph. He's from FanDuel TV uh, joining us here on the fan. Ken, um, uh, we'll get to how we get wealthy off this race in a little bit here, but I'm going to start goofy with you. What's the most entertaining name in this year's Derby field to you? Most entertaining name? That's a... Huh. I don't know. I think maybe King Russell might be entertaining to me, but... I don't know if anything, I guess trying to say Derma Sodagake is probably funny. <laughs> um, but other than that, they don't really strike me as being very entertaining. Is something hit you as funny? No, no. I, I Yeah, I haven't. Same thing with me. I, I like your uh, picks. I, I first thought it's probably not after Russell Wilson based on the year that he had with the Broncos last year. <laughs> probably not the, <laughs> the foundation of King Russell there. I heard that. That's probably not applicable there. I think you're onto something there, brother. <laughs> okay, so how do we get rich here, Ken? Is there anything that you think makes a whole lot of sense betting wise? Man, look, it's so uh, you've been following everything that's happening, right? Last couple of days has been absolute chaos, with four horses having to be removed from the field and the three horses that are on the waiting list now get in, and that's what makes it all all crazy now, cattywampus is because last year, everybody remembers, the horse that got in off the list was the horse that won, number 21, at 81 to 1, Rich Strike. So now everyone's like, well, I'm not going to get Rich Strike again this year. I'm betting the horse that gets in. Now we got three horses that just got in. So, And those horses are all taking money. Hmm. So I, I really believe, honestly, that all 19 of these runners have a chance to, to score. Um, so I would just say this. I know who I'm going to bet. And it really doesn't matter if you follow my bet. It really only matters that you make your own pick. This is the only race that every single being on the planet bets. And you can't possibly handicap and, you know, take your time with all of it. Sometimes you just like a name. Or sometimes you just like the number. So I love a horse named Confidence Game, number four. That's my top pick. But I think they all have a chance. So you pick who you want. Ken Rudolph with us, one of the original broadcast team members of TVG, obviously now FanDuel TV. Ken, you selected Giacomo at 50 to 1 in 05, had Ooh. Country House in 2019 at 65 to 1. Ooh. I know you're going with confidence game, but to go down that rich strike alley, is there a, a, a high level long shot like that that you think has a good chance tomorrow? 
like, yes, all of them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, you know what? I haven't said this to anybody. I think I may have said it like under my breath on the air. And then every time I went back and looked at it and looked at it, I'm like, man. But I really feel like Hit Show is the long shot that shouldn't be the long shot. Um, he was favored in his recent races, and he was in the mix in the wood, and he happened to get beat by Lord Miles. I think that Hit Show, breaking from the inside post, he has the worst post position. Yep. But last year, a horse by the name of Mo Donegal broke from the number one post position last year. And he had to do the exact same thing that Hit Show had to do. But Mo Donegal didn't have a chance to save any ground. And I think he could. He was in the same spot with Rich Strike. And Rich Strike got to that hole, and Mo Donegal couldn't, so he had to go 10 wide. So he can save ground from the number one post position, but he's got to be quick and decisive. And Manny Franco riding the horse Hit Show. I, I really believe that they're going to make the turn for home. And if he hasn't completely made a dumb mistake, they're going to be in position to be running down the lane. They'll be second to confidence game, but they'll be in position to run down the lane at a big price. Hit show, the number one horse. You know, Ken, there are some people that don't have a whole lot of experience in in uh, horse racing betting. And there are so many options. They might be swimming in them when they're like, all right, exacta, box the trifecta. Like, what's going on here? How would you simplify a, 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 an approach to betting on the Derby for someone that doesn't have a whole lot of experience doing so? Well, especially with the exacta, I think it's super simple. And I learned this lesson the hard way. Uh, When I was lucky enough to pick Giacomo in 2005, yes, I did bet $100 to win, but I failed to make the simplest backup wager in the history of big days, and that is the exacta. And what you do with your exacta is very simple, it, especially if you like a horse that I liked at a big price. You want to maximize. So what I was supposed to do was play the exacta, and I was supposed to key Giacomo on top and then push all in the second position. And in that year, for $1, it would have cost me $19. For this year, it will cost you $18. And what that means is if you win the race, doesn't matter who comes in second. You guaranteed to hit the exacta. And what you're hoping for is what happened in 2005. Giacomo won at 50 to 1, but a horse named Closing Argument ran second at 74 to 1. So the exacta was ridiculous. And I'm still mad at myself for not making that simple wager. Um, I did it for Country House. It didn't pay nearly as much, but I was happy that I, had, I made that backup play. So you pick your horse to win, and then you keep that horse on top. You put every single horse in the field in the second spot, and you hope for chaos. Yeah. And if you want to play a trifecta, you simply just have to find three horses. I can't choose your horses for you. You have to find three horses. You put them in what's called a $1 trifecta box. That means they can come in any order. As long as they're in the top three, you get paid. That costs you $6 on a $1 trifecta box. There it is. Super simple. There you go. Ken, last thing on my end, selfishly, when you look at this field, because I, I love more than just the Derby, how many of these horses can legitimately contend for the Triple Crown? Ooh. Yeah, somebody else asked me that, and I was like, uh, what? <laughs> uh, like, wait a minute. I don't even know. Like, so I never even think about that until 
until I until they cross the right, wire in the right. derby, if that makes any yeah. sense. Because then I've got a feel for their running style. And, like, if they did it on the front end in the Kentucky Derby, we automatically think, well, yep, you're going to be able to take them all the way around the Preakness. Sure. So, you know what I mean? Or if they just sat right off whatever runner and they were just incredibly push-button. Like, you know, a runner like California Chrome, I remember watching him win the Derby. He was so push-button. He just took off. And we're like, oh, my God, they're not going to beat him in the Preakness. He's incredible. Right. So, if a horse like Forte gets his is up in the mix early on and just gets away from the field and demolish them and just dominates, then obviously he's the kind of horse that has already shown us he can win on the front end. He can win from back the back of the pack with traffic. And if he wins the derby with ease, he's the horse that has shown that he has the ability to take it all the way through the triple crown. Forte hey. is probably the only one. Hey, Ken, thanks for the time, man. Enjoy the derby. Have a great weekend. Hope everything, all hey. your bets come through. Thank you all for your time. I really appreciate you. Have fun. Good luck. Bet whatever you want to bet. Don't take anybody else's advice. Follow your heart. (laughs) Thanks, Ken. There you go. Ken Rudolph, FanDuel TV. I like that. Don't follow anybody else's advice. Think for yourself. I'd be the worst fantasy football host of all time. You know what I mean, Jimmy? (laughs) We're like, I got got three receivers I need to start to. I'd be like, here's my advice. How about you grow a set and make a decision on your own? You're a grown man. What are you doing over it? I'd be a horrible host. Then they give you a bump and be like, hey, Brian, we're paying you six figures to do this job. You think you give a little bit? Hey, I got you. No problem. You know what? Why don't you start Jalen Waddle? It's fine. Yeah. All right, coming up next, Jay Cook's got some picks for you. We've also got some championship audio to throw your way as well. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. You know, it's a big betting day slash betting weekend. I say we just dive right on into those betting waters. Let's do it. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my this is how I win. First of all, I love just diving right into the betting waters, but we talk about repetition for a quarterback. You should have seen Eddie's eyes the second that you queued up bets right out of the gate, but my man recovered and he got us off and I was going to say, I think he was putting in his exact box <laughs> at that time and uh, he recovered quickly. Very he, nice. He did. We, tip, we tipped the cap. We're going to lay one and a half on the run line for the Tampa Bay Rays. This evening as they host the New York Yankees, the rest is all basketball, and it's another overfest that I'm sure Eddie will probably knock one off Uh-oh. the board. Over 25 and a half from Nikola Jokic for the Nuggets against the Suns tonight. Also going to take Devin Booker and Kevin Durant over, over 30 and a half for Devin, over 28 and a half for Kevin, and then Jason Tatum taking over 28 and a half total points tonight against the 76ers. It was rough. It was brutal. I apologize for it. 0-4 yesterday. 7-11 on the week. Looking to bounce back. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. What was yesterday? 0-4. Oh, it was what? tough. It was brutal. It was brutal. It was tough. Not There's a lot of, of information coming at you very quickly. I'm not proud you know? of it. And I didn't catch that in- initially. And me being the jerk, I thought we would rewind and highlight 
What? What? It was just an off day, though, huh? That's it's an all. Off day. It happens. Off day. We're blaming the blowout. Blowout did affect a lot. A lot of our our group chat, respectively. There was ton of chatter hey. with how things were impacted but we don't we don't make the excuses we look to respond i hate when i do. have something going in the right direction and screw it up <laughs> so on the show yesterday i said i'll take the warriors over 60 and a half points their team total for the first half that was right they ended up with 67 mm-hmm. winning ticket if you followed my advice over there and then what do i do right before the game group text i'm like hey uh they're not gonna have uh they're not going to have uh, Kavon Ludi at full strength. He's significantly under the weather. Give me Anthony Davis over 14 and a half rebounds. He had 23 in game one. He was a no-show last night. 11.7 rebounds. Think about this. Anthony Davis had seven rebounds in about 33 minutes. Kavon Looney had eight rebounds in about 12 minutes. <laughs> I will say, Looney had three of those on the offensive end in a span of 10 seconds. With hey. Anthony Davis off the floor. Hey, so what? He ended up with more <laughs> rebounds. What I say. You got any plays, Eddie? Tough. Tough? You got any plays? Oh, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Sorry, I, thought, I thought you said, you know how he plays. I didn't realize you said, do you have any plays? I apologize. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, that's a new uh, new betting style right there, Eddie. Got any plays, Eddie? <laughs> Tough. Grit. Determination. <laughs> okay. Those are my plays. Um. Now listen, uh, my computer is trash, which I have detailed in great length over here. So I tried to grab the audio for you here on Colts Twitter. This is when, this is going to be a bit of an experiment on the fly here. This is when Josh Downs was selected by the Colts in the third round. And so he's getting the call from Chris Ballard. And listen to I, who I think is Josh Downs' father in the background, uh, aggressively celebrating. I think it's tremendous. Here you go. Check it out. Hopefully this works. I don't know. No promises. Uh, let's give it a go. Yes, sir. Hey, Chris Ballard here with the Colts, man. We're going to pick you right here, man. Welcome to Indy. Praise God! <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah! I know, it's been a, I know it's been a long wait, man, but I can't tell you how excited we feel fortunate to get you, man. Let's go! Let's go! There you go. Lots of excitement right there. I love that. I think it's the father, but... Uh, highly emotional moment and very cool. Very excited about that with Josh Downs going to the Colts. Uh, my backup computer, or my my computer is good to go, Jimmy Cook. Yes, I'm racing over there to get my computer. Happy for that you. was born, I think, eight or nine years after 2011, <laughs> which is the year of this trash backup computer that making me tear my hair out. Uh, what about the Derby? You got any derby plays there, Jay Cook? I do have a couple of derby plays. Give right me one now, real fast. I'm going to have more on Twitter tomorrow at the Jay Cook, but I'm going to take Tap It Trice across the board, the five horse here in the derby, trained by Todd like Pletcher to tomorrow. I like the name. Hey, JMV up next. Have a great weekend. We'll catch you soon.